from the Crash Course Podcast, Meatbags. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Futurama. Oh, so I felt yeah, like yeah. I didn't actually pick up the Futurama thing. I just thought you 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 became a reverend and decided to start insulting people. <laughs> no, I can't. One one hundred and fourteen is a little early for that. Yeah, I'd be in the nine hundreds. I can't. Fifty. I can't actually do Bender's voice, so I just quoted him in my voice angrily. I got you. Um. So yes, that's my <laughs> intro. I've got nothing. Ta da! Uh, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, that's it. I got nothing. You're right. not picking on me enough, so I don't know where to go with it. All right, I'll go to something. Uh, thank you, Yvonne Laughlin. I really appreciate, this is a little shout out, really appreciate what you did for uh, the article um, that I wrote on Eric Neff. Uh, I thought the, al the album at the end of the day was absolutely great, and I'm glad to see you're getting us out there to uh, another varying fan base. This time, a Dallas, Texas fan base, which we have yet to see. Our fan bases, when you think about it, are, are, are really scatterbrained, but they're really strong in those scattered places, yep. one being Wales. Yeah. Yes. Which is really scattered. Yes. Um, so, yeah. If we, if we were a scatter plot, we'd be, well, really scattered. <laughs> yeah. So, once again, thanks, Yvonne. And, uh, <laughs> you're, over, go to the, you're overusing that word. Scattered? Yes. Go, also, go to you're the scattered. website. Bring me. Stop talking. <laughs> go, go to the website and check out Steve's article on Eric Niff's brand new record, which is coming out in November. Um, and he gives you a taste of what to expect. Eric Neff's also on YouTube. We favorited on the Crash Chords YouTube page a few of his videos. Feel free to go check them out. Um, and soon to Crash Chords autograph sometimes next month with his record release, we'll have an interview with him as well. Yep, I plan so on we'll, talking to him. We'll be sharing that. We'll be sharing the album when it comes out for sure. Yep. So uh, keep an eye out for that. This week, however, what we're working with is, as we mentioned last week, our fan, Knockjaw, a.k.a. Jose, who wrote us a lengthy email um, telling us what he felt about the show and what he thought about what we do and sharing with us what he'd like us to review. What he shared with us was an album called Ohio by the band Daryl. The band's name is bracketed in hard brackets. I don't know why. I haven't been able to figure out yeah, it's why. Got like, wait, wait. It's got like three footnotes. It's the, You can't just say Daryl. No, it's got to be Daryl, all caps, bracketed, one R. Yeah. Oh, that's right, one R, yeah. Three footnotes. One band. Um, and no header. No header. No, that's sad. But, um, so this was an album that, uh, a band he had discovered from a TV show, Symbiotic Titan. Um, and I guess the band was featured in it. I had seen the show a long time ago, but I don't honestly remember it that well. But he was hoping that we would have a discussion about the record and review it, which we will today. Um, I, for one, am grateful that he wrote to us. And it's always nice to kind of get shooed in a different direction by someone that isn't the three of us. Or our guest. Or I mean, our, our affiliates, or the affiliates of our guests. Or yeah. I mean, I love our guests, and they wrong. brought us some great stuff. Um, but it's nice to get a fan out there who appreciates what we do and wants us to analyze something they like. Um, hopefully you like our analysis. And if you disagree, um, Jose, please comment on the site. Tell us why you disagree, what you think we might have gotten wrong. I mean, we're not infallible, and it's hard to not always lean towards taste a little bit, but... If you disagree, I mean, we'd love to hear your arguments. I mean, that's what this is all about, a healthy argument about music, a discussion. So. Absolutely. But we spent quite a bit of time with this album. We had the week to, uh, we had more than a week, actually, yeah. uh, considering that he emailed us in advance. Um, so let's dive right in. Ohio by Daryl. Another state reference. I know it's because I'm always mentioning Sufjan Stevens and how he had this big project there. He was going to... Uh, do an album on every single state, and he only got so far as Illinois and Michigan. But we do have another Great Lakes stand, uh, state now supplied by Daryl. 
You would you would be the only one to reference the Great Lakes when talking about Ohio. Well, they're there. <laughs> Thank you, like... fourth grade geography. <laughs> you almost said geology. Good job. I almost said geometry, not oh, ge- geography. Oh, well, either way. Beats your first grade geography. <laughs> yes. Um, it... <laughs> the first track is Happy Accidents. This is our intro track to the record. Well, first, let's start first... off just my initial impressions, okay. just on, the, on this album. First of all, if you're going to talk about style here, I immediately sort of, I took this as kind of a warm album. It's also very underproduced, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I got it because I, it, first of all, it is released in 2004. This is a retro, although not so retro as last week's review. It's a retro album, still a decade ago. We were a lot younger, and I have an association with the kind of music that was out at that time. And this is definitely in that niche, but even of that niche, it's still very raw and underproduced. Kind of like the venue down the block kind of atmosphere. You know, very warm, much, yeah, not close to home. Above your uh, garage band level, but still hasn't actually spent too much time in the studio mixing it up. Sort of like that idea of, of well, just the local talent. Local talent, but like a band with experience that really sticks with their local talent and is not so interested in, you know, traveling the world right away. Instead, they stay in their garage atmosphere and they kind of enjoy that garage atmosphere. They've they've honed that down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And that's that's person from the very first uh, guttural uh, notes of this of this song, Happy Accidents. Kind of a suburban feel, also. Yeah, like suburban Jersey. I think you said <laughs> it's it's a yes, yes. It's very much the, the suburbia uh, idea. Suburban here. America, awash with indie kids, but having this, a great time, hanging out in stoops, that kind of thing. But this song, the first track, does something that of the time a lot of bands did, especially in the pop punk, pop rock kind of genre is it's very in your face from the second it starts there's not really much of an intro it kind of is just starts fast and heavy um well that has to do with the with the breakdown of of the the sections in this song for instance the format of the song it it, it doesn't go like you'd typically expect you have an intro and then verse chorus verse not in this case instead it's more intro chorus verse chorus that's why it appears as being rather in your face because you're getting the chorus right up front even if you don't immediately recognize it as such it's still very out there it is very fast and then it recedes to the verse where it's a little bit more downplayed but again only as downplayed as you would expect in a live setting as i said local venue yeah it does definitely have that that local venue vibe especially from the the beginning of the song um i really like though how upfront it is it's a unique structure um, and it kind of builds as the song goes, going from the chorus into the verse. I'll also give it this. It's an energizing tactic. I mean, it does make me more energized, and I guess I am for, for many of the bands that we review, where it's this very slow burn, or they're trying to, like, reel you in or get a mouse to come over to, you know. It's, it's not that. It's just, we're playing music right here. That's it. That's it. The show has but, begun. But that, uh, that's something I'm actually going to call them out on. As, as an introduction to an album... It's a little bit harsh that way. It's it, You can't get into the music. You have to accept it right away and go with it. You don't have a chance to try to sit on it, to, to try to, you know, get into what they're trying to project here. So it's it's a little bit of a, a shock and awe kind of an aspect for this album. That's, it, it, it didn't sit quite 100% for me no, that's because fa- of that. That's a fair point. And I think... Um... You know, that would almost be like the kind of experience, still kind of keeping with the, the, the local venue comparison, the kind of person who just walks in halfway through the show and has no context, really. And it's that's, almost like that. 
that's where I was going. I, I, I start having problems here. Also, it's still a little bit wishy-washy for me. Because while it the, the song does flow well, and I do want to harken back to that chorus-verse verse, uh, instead of the verse-chorus structure, it does offer something a little bit different. I mean, it's not dramatic and groundbreaking, but it is a different idea of a presentation for the content of the song. But at the same time, it has a very adolescent vibe. Not well, that quite, goes back to the garage quite, band atmosphere. It's kind of impossible to separate the two, yeah. Even in the lyrics, there's one lyric that really just bothers me because of the way it's both sung and the words themselves. No reason I can't tell you, no reason you can't tell me. It's sung in such a way that it, you, you kind of feel that they meant it to be deep and introspective, but it wasn't. It really came off hollow to me. See, and these sort of things, they started adding up for this tr- first track. I sort of differ with that. When I, when, I, when I come to those two lines, I don't really get the... I don't, I don't get the idea that they were trying to go for anything particularly deep. In fact, I think you were right in your first count that the, the adolescence of it almost indicates that it, it is exactly face value. There's no reason I can't tell you. There's no reason you can't tell me. And the implication, you kind of know what the implication is. I'm sure it comes down to to love in the end. At least I gather, because, you know, we didn't have the lyrics in front of us in this, but we did pick apart, uh, we did transcribe quite a bit. Either case, in, in this particular instance, I, I think it was, um, I, I think it was fairly harmless. To be honest, I, w- I was more focused on, uh, on, on the the format here, just about these choruses, that they have a five chord progression. Now, I know that seems kind of ridiculous. Like, you, know, you obviously everybody knows four chord progressions just from your experience with Access of Awesome and all that stuff. But you throw in a fifth one there, and it's strange how that one little addition can sort of throw you off. It's not that you're throwing off the meter. The meter is still very much entrenched in 4-4. Four, four. That does not break. But you have a four chord progression added with just one more, another chord, that then leads you back to the one chord. And then we go through this round of five chords again. So even though the chorus is sort of in this accessible indie framework, it's just got that one little extra step that makes it a little bit more inventive, a little bit more introspective. We then go into a bridge, a very interesting little bridge, which which that is the bridge, in fact. Uh, there's no reason I can't tell you, no reason you can't tell me, but following that, we get an interlude. And that interlude Honestly, I could get behind. It's just a simple guitar interlude, but it's a, it's a little breakdown slash interlude. It's that it's that that appeal that I find in in mid two thousands, early two thousands indie. It, it was still rock at its core that you could get behind, you could dance to, you could enjoy yourself. And hearing that on an album, as opposed to in a local venue, which is where I typically heard it at the time, is kind of pleasing. And I guess tugs my heartstrings a little bit. If only incidentally, because I was of that age, of that adolescent age at that time. And that's where I would say that the song finally started to turn around for me during that interlude, because that was the really emotionally approachable part. <laughs> it, it slowed down just a little bit in its intensity, so you're not, not getting this really high, high energy drum work, percussion work that was a little bit overbearing, but... It remained within the context of the song, which allowed me to make more connections to what the music was doing. Well, I'll do you one further. Um, where it got emo- See, it got fun to me in that instance, at that interlude. It got emotional in the second reiteration of the bridge. And this is why I wasn't so focused on those lyrics. Uh, the, there's no reason I can't tell you, no reason you can't tell me. They, they are the bridge. They comprise the entire bridge here. And it, 
it's really more about the music at that point. The second, the second recurrence of this bridge, the piano, it's so light, it's just a slight little bit of color, and it, it seems to come in more in the right ear if you're listening to it in headphones, and it, it, it sort of fills out the bridge a lot more than it did the first time around. There's this slight punctuation of the, of the piano just entering in with, with this E-flat over and over. So you hear two chords, A major on one part of the bridge, and then uh, it goes to the, the relative minor, uh, F-sharp minor. Funny because this goes back to something I brought up before, major to relative minor, which usually comes across as being a little bit of a gag just because it's, you know, it's that classic way to sort of bring emotion into a more crux point of a song. But the interesting thing here is that it, it colors it up a little bit. With that E flat, it turns that second chord, the F, uh, the F sharp minor, into a full F sharp minor 13th. At least I, 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 I get those upper partials in there. I'm not sure they're all there. It could just be sort of a sus six that throws in the E flat without the, the in-betweens, the, the, the seventh and the ninth. But I think I hear the full 13th. Even if it's just fleeting, it's there. And it, it, it sort of anchors me to this, this second chord considerably more than I was anchored to anything up to the song at, uh, at this point. It's just interesting to me, though, that something that is fleeting hooked you because in the past you're often annoyed or perturbed by things that are fleeting in songs like that. Sometimes that'll occur in the case of like a uh, an instrument that is introduced, and I suppose this still still does count because uh, the piano wasn't really prominent here at this point, but the piano is being introduced for the first time. But it was so it, it was so delicate, a delicate piece of color that I it it wasn't invasive to me. Okay, I guess that makes sense considering the structure of it. Um, I mean, also what I liked about this song is that it kind of wasn't trying to convince you of anything. It was very much a, this is the music we play, here it is, enjoy. Yeah, and it's a good overall impression, I think, of what, yeah. we, what we do get later in the album. The fun up front, and then a little more of a, a mellower emotional side later. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did, as far as an intro song goes, I mean, it really did give us a sense of the band that we get. I mean, the band does jump around a little bit, but more or less, they do come back to everything they introduced us to in this first track. And it really closes off romantically, in my opinion. Um, the, the song wraps up in a romantic way, because it's really hard to even categorize where the, where the rest of this track would fall in a form sense. It's sort of like a, a secondary bridge or a secondary chorus, it's... but it seems to anthemize that and ring it out for the duration of the track, never really returning to the to the first chorus, which is calling out a woman's name, incidentally. It had a very unique structure, and it did feel a little erratic, but that's not really a bad thing. I kind of liked that it didn't stay... Some of the style was predictable, but the structure was less predictable, and I liked that. It gave it a flair that that, that made it stand out a bit. Um, From the intro track, we go to Right Now, I Could Be a Ghost, which is the second track. Um, More of a slow ballad. Yeah. This one, they take their time with. It starts with a sweet piano intro... Um, I like how it's got this dichotomy to the first track, where the first track is very in-your-face and sudden. This one slowly winds in, starts with the beautiful piano intro, the singer cues up, and he's still very warm, his voice. But again, the transition works, because the first track ended so romantically, and now we're kind of sort of entrenched in that. We're stewing in that emotion, yeah. Exactly. that, That place, at least. Um, and the singer, at this point, it's, I think, a good place to start talking about the singer a bit more. Yeah. He's, not, he's not a bad singer by any means. Um, my biggest issue with him is his sound reminds me of many others. I mean, that happens with singers sometimes. The, the, the dichotomy he has with the backup singer is very reminiscent of Taking Back Sunday. They take turns and sometimes sing over each other. They're often off pitch or off key. Um, 
it, it, it resembles emo or pop punk in the sense that there are drawn out, drawn out phrases, almost whiny but not quite, you know, but definitely emotive, um, raspy. It, it's a raw sound. And I like the way he sings, and it's uh, it's definitely not bad by any means. It's just it's definitely very downplayed. I, I I think this is a good time to actually throw out that word again, irreverence. This is how I would I would sort of define his singing style: a kind of not really caring in in where he yeah. lands. But it's not because he doesn't care about the art. Let's let's be clear here. He just does it, the style that he is modeling himself after is a matter that he doesn't care where that pitch lands in the end. It's, as long as he gets the ballpark vicinity of the note, then that's all he really needs. It kind of it 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 yields it lets him continue that raw that raw emotive state. Well, cuz this is that inflection kind of thing. He cares more about what he's saying than how it sounds. Yeah. That's less important to him. This really comes through with the chorus work, which is just a repetition of the title, Right Now I Could Be a Ghost. But he says it in slightly different hues, if I had to put it, if, if I'm trying to put this into words, that, that, that leave a, a little bit different coloration on the phrase itself. It, it really comes off as great emotional use of, of just his singing style, his pseudo-whiny style. Um, for such a simple phrase, especially after it gets repeated its eighth time, I don't get tired of him singing it. I don't get tired of the way he keeps rephrasing it. Hmm. But at the same again, time... Again, I might be on the flip side. I, I feel like it did wear on me just a little bit in this particular instance, which may be why uh, I sort of agree with Matt that this is the time to bring up the singer's voice, because I guess this is the time where it seemed more in my face, kind of like I yeah. couldn't ignore it. Well, and also, I mean, the song slowly builds. You don't have a lot on top of his voice. It's not as clutter cluttered and condensed as the first song was. Yeah. There's a lot more breathing room for his voice, which I still <laughs> feel conveys this kind of warm feeling. But yeah, it definitely does wear a bit. But what I did like is that it changed up the instrumentation a bit. We get some instruments that we haven't heard yet before. Like, I really like how in the middle of the song we get that flute work that we were even struggling to identify as a flute at first. Yeah, we get uh, some... It's definitely a woodwind of some kind. Interesting exposition for what I was expecting. Hmm. Now, it wasn't by any means, like, Beethoven. I mean, we're not talking, like, a, a monstrous piece or really, like, the, the, the highest of levels. But in context of the song itself, it was very tasteful and left me left me definitely wanting more of that part of their music. I agree 100%. There was a certain texture here that I definitely appreciated, uh, and uh, a huge portion of it was that flute-y thing. And then the other part of it was was the piano, which was very delicate, but it sort of just hammered out this 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 high note just over and over again, and that was just the A, which is the, the, the tonic of, of the song. It's an A major, and it just sort of repeats A over and over again. It's just a little bit of color. Again, kind of analogous to what they did uh, that I described in the last track. And here, it's just that, but thinned down a little more, that we yeah. hear it crisper. And in addition to that, we also we also get to hear the this, this sort of solo work. But the funny thing is that it's not really highlighted, if only for the fact that it's... That it's its, its timbre is so strikingly different from every other instrument. It's not highlighted as a solo would be highlighted. What, excuse me, uh, that a solo would be highlighted. It's, it's actually the other, uh, the other instruments that are still, and his vocals that are still sort of taking the stage, that is just playing in the background, but it's, it's, it's going balls to the wall, finishing this phrase in the background. And you can't help but unhear it. It seems to come off to the listener as the most important thing at that moment. 
And yet, for all this, I'm still drawn to the fact that I'm at at my age, where I'm in my late twenties, because I really don't want to say. Um, at my age, Suck it up. Be quiet, Mister Over Thirty. Now, uh, yeah, I went there. Can't talk to yourself, so you digging him. <laughs> I really can't get into this song as a whole because with with that that kind of just a little bit of a, the, the 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 inflection outside of the chorus work and the lyrics themselves cry i would never cry unless i thought it was necessary the the emphasis he puts on this line makes it feel really important but just the phrasing comes off as really hollow for me this happens throughout the song it's 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 really overly impactful. I think that's I think that's countered though by a couple of other things here. For instance, there's other lines where like there was there was always room for air uh excuse me, always room for cancel cancellations, constant air. It's sort of like break in his train of thought in order to in order to uh capture that train of thought in some in some sense of imagery. I feel like this happens all throughout the album and I think that is sort of the, the, the talent within that, that even though certain lines may come off exactly as, as, as you encountered them, reading into it there's this 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 phrasing of imagery that I like. There's well, a the stream of consciousness throughout the lyrics uh, very heavily. Yes in their design and, and uh, actual presentation. Now, speaking of, uh, if, if I may, speaking of, of stream of consciousness, I just want to hop over to, uh, to to the music for a second here. Because there's th- there's something else that's going on, despite the fact that I'm enjoying the texture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little minus mark to the... Uh, to the actual comping that's going on by the piano as we get deeper into the verses. Because even though I like it, I liked it in the beginning. I liked it as, as, as just the sense of it being there, the sense of what it serves against the, the flute thing and, and, and so forth, there's just something, there's a little bit of a, uh, I'm going to use the word again, you, scatterbrained, scattered, I got to say it at this point, the piano seemed a little bit all over the place. Maybe I just uh, encountered this because I am a piano player and because I, I feel like I've, I've dealt with this before, I know the drill. It, it can be fun when you're in that mode. When you're the musician, it can be fun when you're just jamming along in this state and you're just playing out the general notes of the chord in, in whatever fashion. It's great when you're in the setting, but if it's too directionless, I, I certainly wouldn't record it. And I feel like I, I got that... It's, it's another time to use the word irreverence here, and this time I'm not sure it's as in much of a positive, artistic way. I mean, it's just it seems A little like, bit of a ramble. It seems like at that point, the way the, so- the rest of the song was building, you'd think there would be more to that as well. It's unfortunate that... The way the song builds, it does seem like it's going somewhere, but that repetition kind of unravels it a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't even describe it as repetition. Actually, there's, there's a sort of a lack of structure there that, that makes it so that the piano comes across as a, there's a new note every time. You can't really predict what it is. That in itself, I guess, is kind of a good thing, but it seems a little bit formless. Like, I'm not going to go so far as to say like a free jazz style, but it, it's, it, it meanders its way through these pop chords. And yeah. not always in the most uh, cohesive fashion or artistically packaged fashion. But I'm going to take it over to the content side of the song. I feel like okay. that could be artistically intentional. Having this rambling piano to um, articulate and, and, and make you picture this kind of ghostly figure, this person lost, this person who almost feels invisible or irreverent. 
I think emotionally that's what he's going for. And artistically it might fall a little short, but I think I'd be hard-pressed to believe that it wasn't intentional to kind of have that meandering feel. I mean, when dealing with a ghost or a wanderer or someone who's lost in limbo, that kind of reality structure would make sense for the song. Well, I, I guess I only disagree with you on the, on that one point. You can't... I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, all of what you said and irreverent. See, the irreverence yeah. is, is a matter of sort of not caring where you're going, and it seems like there should be a lot more care here in the fact that he was left in the dust, it mm. seems. And right. that that really wouldn't convey to me the, this this sort of sense of, of rambling along. Maybe, maybe it depends on how you look at it. If you're in 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 the netherworld, so to speak, you know, a figurative netherworld, then maybe it, it it does seem like you can't quite claw your way back to the top, and he's trying to claw this way out of the solo. So I guess I kind of like fueled your point there a little bit. But uh, you know, I, I I don't think irreverence is the word, but it seems to come across to me as a listener, as a as a. a uh, with an ear for, for soloing and comping, it comes across as, as irreverent. Okay. I'll try to put the period at that word now. <laughs> yes, that's fine. I think this is a good place to hop on to trackle. Old track three. I don't know what I was going for there. Trackle. 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 No, good old track three. Yeah, good old track three was what I was trying to say. Um, makeup. Um, as in the stuff you apply on your face. This um, song is the most firmly attached song to the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. It is so there. And another feature, a feature I really, really enjoy, the eight-second chorus. Because yeah. we timed it. I was really curious about this. It was a very... I don't know how to else to explain it other than it was it's just eight seconds. It, and was it was succinct and to the point. Yes, but, but, but to some extent, it really was a short little transition piece that ended up being really pointless. Uh, I disagree. I don't think it's pointless at all. And the reasons why is because the, the the kind of scene they're trying to build, they're not focusing on the makeup itself. It's the the mask it's causing. It's what you're hiding. I mean, I will agree that the sound was fairly familiar, fairly rooted in the time that it came out. Um, it wasn't bad by any means, but steady drum and bass was repetitive and familiar. You know, the structure was very much stuff we've heard in the past. Um. I don't know. I think here in the third track, I'm 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 finally going to agree with John on something, <laughs> and that is this Ow. chorus. No, no, I'm serious. Well, at this point, yes, just okay. in, in this case of this album, I, I was agreeing with you a lot, but this is the first time you're agreeing with me. I have to point that out. Okay, fair enough. Um. Well, in this, no, in this particular case, I think you're spot on with these choruses. They don't. They didn't really. Excuse the pun here. They didn't really make up for. The lack of, of... No excuse. <laughs> Sorry, no excuse. Nope, not giving right. you. Nope, not even an edge. All right, then I'll go a different direction here. I felt it was sort of thrash without substance okay. in this particular case because it is so short in the end, and there's really just not... That, that's not what I'm looking at in this song. I'm looking at other other things. I'm looking at at uh, even the things I got right up in the beginning, at sort of the, the, the squeals that you hear in the guitar. Uh, not going to call them harmonics, they're squeals, and let's not use any other word for it. But even they provide some kind of atmosphere, even though it's not the most, not an atmosphere that everyone is like readily following. It's an atmosphere that, that, that it, it makes you feel something. Even if it's, even if it's a, a deterrent, it makes you feel something. Yeah. The choruses were kind of this mindless, uh, this mindless cheer. And I didn't, I felt like it was a little bit early for, for that in this particular album. The favorite yeah. part here, though, was the bridge. That was that when they introduced the strings. Um, not quite yet. Okay. The bridge. Uh, oh no! Wait, actually, wait. That was that was when okay. the cello came in. Yes, the cello steps in to sort of play this little 
this slight little bit of melody as you go between two chords it hammers out the the, the first I mean the, the tonic note and then the seventh and then the fifth just itself in a, in a melodic fashion and that even though it was so fleeting here it is just a little introductory instrument it was nice it was sweet it was a piece of of textural unity I guess you could say or just variance for this track but, something to latch on to but and I can almost hear the butt coming yeah it was so fleeting this is one of those where I just got to point out and I think you're going to be on board with me on this one we're going to harp on the fleeting nature of this because introducing a cello throughout this song not even throughout as a comping instrument in aspects of the song could have done so much to do what it did in that little bridge section. Yeah. No, the 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 cello when I see this is the kind of thing where the first time you hear it it's going to blow you away a little bit just because it's a cello. And you know, I I always try to beware of these things. You know, whenever there's just an instrument that steps in and you made this point before, Matt, you know, you got to beware of of its of its its uh its usefulness um alongside just its shock value. And in this particular case, it may have been shock value, and I really hate to say that just because it was so gorgeous. Um, but it did consume the last third of this track, and it, it persisted well into the outro, which was when it was its strongest because none of the other instruments were there. It was just this string ensemble. Maybe there were a couple of horns mixed in, I forget exactly, but it was small ensemble, still kind of had the, the raw production quality that... that that reflected the production tone throughout this album, but yet the instruments are just so different. That that contrast, I don't think, is, is worth ignoring. It's just, it was an odd direction for this track, and odd is sort of that word that's just thrown out there. It's however you take it. But I think also this is a good point, to, place to point out, rather, while we're talking about the fleeting nature of certain things, that the whole album has a lot of fleeting moments because tracks themselves are fleeting. I mean, the longest track on the whole record is three minutes and 44 seconds, and none of them really come close to that. Yeah, there's, the there's two yeah. other that are about 320, and the rest are under three So those songs are short by nature, and I think that's a big reason why we get these fleeting moments, is because the structure of the songs are kind of condensed. That said, though, I mean, you can have short songs that still kind of grow and breathe. Well, this one, this one actually... Uh, one of its best redeeming factors is is the message it it goes into, uh, sort of an idea of self deprivation, uh, wearing makeup to hide oneself, as well as subtly personifying makeup and almost making it a person. This is a, a case where the lyrics are the, and the vocals are very hard to distinguish, at least to my ear. And I was sitting there listening in headphones pretty tightly. Um, but there were a couple of lines that I know uh, Steve and I both wrote down. Uh, take off... I don't know exactly. I, this I can't, is what I think. I this is what we think it is. I can't. <laughs> take off your raptor in disguise and watch what they say. It's probably a rapper or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure but it's a rapper. We don't but know. But it's the, just Rap. the combination of, well, is the makeup hiding you or is the makeup the person that's being hidden? Are you? It, it's, it's an intriguing little idea. A little well, overplayed to some extent, because it does come off a little bit too self-deprivating. Deprecating. Deprecating. Sorry. Um, but on that note, <laughs> deprivating would be a little hard. But but, but but also on that note, with the personifying of the makeup, I mean, it also plays into a theme that I really like: the idea of 
are you the person or is the mask the real person? The idea that you put on this mask, but is that really you? And that's where I was going to go with this, which is that, you know, when you consider the, the tonal shift as this track progresses from being so sort of in your face, you know, again, to use the word faces and you're talking about makeup and then as the track ends it's it's just sort of like this this sweet and yet raw set which would be exactly what you'd like to see in a person when they take off their makeup this is just this is just an idea that i'm throwing out yeah. there but i think it's something worth worth noting i think it's something that 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 does it gives this the song a uh, it gives it a guide it makes it so that it's not really as random as perhaps I made it out to be. It may very well be intentional, and, and let's face it, I don't think... I, I think I think that the instruments that, that, that comprise this particular band, this particular ensemble... Uh, did you catch this, John? Was it a seven-piece? It was between six and seven individuals uh, playing all sorts of instruments. Um, we've got strings, horns, we've got horns, the piano we've, piano, got, we've got all the things that you wouldn't expect in your mid-2000s, early-2000s indie genre. All of the things that would really, you know, probably freak out a, uh, a, a four-piece or five-piece band of the era. They, they are probably more likely to use instruments in a willy-nilly state, but for this band, I feel like it, it's intertwined in their being. So when they purpose. decide to withhold staple instruments that they play... There's got to be a reason. I agree. And I think that's a great way to sum up this track. Track four, we move on to You Were Way Too Young. Now, I mean, my first complaint right out the gate this song is that it was way too short. Um, I, I liked structurally where it was going, and then it kind of, I think, ended before it really got to truly express itself. My first complaint is that I was kind of getting tired of the same percussion from song to song, especially the introduction of this song. The drums, I think, are, are starting to become a weakness, a little bit of a crutch for what they're doing here, because I'm not seeing a whole lot of variation, even from going faster to slower, in the actual composition of those drums. They're, they're, they're just back there. And for this indie pop punk, I'm really not sure how we're classifying it yet, it's, yeah, it's, it's, something, punk, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's something I want to see expanded. Because within both indie and punk, you can do a lot with drum, uh, with drums, and how they're used. Uh, this is very interesting. I mean, you're honing in on the drums, and you're honing in on uh, Matt. You're honing in on on the the length of the of this track. And I don't know. To be honest, this is where my opinions on the on the, on the craft of this album started to to diverge a little bit. And I was thinking that perhaps there, there's sort of a dedicated craft of this garage band type work. Um, so really, I think that's the way to classify it even more than indie pop punk, all of which are true in their own way. But I, I, I think it's that garage band atmosphere that really, I think, is def defining this. Um, I mean, the chords in here, just in the beginning of the song, they're almost a little bit comical, both in, in effect and perhaps somewhat in a derogatory sense. I'll give you this. But my point is they're a little bit effective. So what's going on here is you're in the key of D major, right? And then it spends a little bit of time in this first chord, a little bit of time in the second chord, E minor. Now that's just a whole step away. But what's really interesting is the, the melody that takes place over this. Very raw, very simplistic, like almost stupid simplistic. But at the same time, you can get into it for what I think is kind of an abstract reason, and here it is. It takes a melody, it takes the third of the first chord, that, that, that D major, and then it goes from the third down to the second, right? And then we go to the second chord, that E minor. From here, we go from the second to the first. So, again, it's so 
stupidly simple, but it's this manner of playing both chords against against the middle, kind of fighting for home base, and each is kind of pleasing in their own way. Because while the tonic chord should be home, your melody is just a step away from being there with it. And then the second chord should be a departure, but your melody is at least on the root of that key. It's a very bizarre little thing if you can get past the fact that the, the meter and the repetition and that sort of close guitar sound sounds almost ridiculous. Like, that's the extent of this little riff? Well, it is, but it has reason. Now then, uh, I want to talk about the comping work, the comp work over the verse. There's this sort of crisp electric guitar ornamentation, and you hear it mixed very highly. And this is in, in post-production work, or perhaps it was in pre-production work. Perhaps it was never recorded uh, at a nice stable rate to begin with. It was, it was always recorded highly. And I would almost interpret it as like the goofy friend who's always just getting right in your ear. It's playful, but it's so loud, and I think I heard it more in the left ear in this particular recording. And again, that's a textural oddity in of itself, because most of this album has been kind of status quo volume, a nice stable rate, and then all of a sudden here we get this, this thing that is far more prominent and almost feels like it shouldn't be, like it's just where the mic happened to be placed. But being things that I noticed in the first few chords here, I'm inclined to think it's not so accidental. They want you to focus on that crispness. It could be one of the major factors that brought the song back for me because that playful nature you're seeing and um, that crisp comping is when I started to be reminded of Bowling for Soup, which another band from this time frame, uh, they were doing similar things. And I would say that that was one of the most alluring factors of bowling was just the the bucking the status quo kind of a nature in uh, their chordal changes. At the same time, though, I'm I'm feeling well, I don't know the same amount feels, of bowling for soup as you it's do, feeling but I'm a little bit too fluffy. It's the whole song itself. It feels like I'm losing no. a little bit of substance. I would disagree. I'm more in line with Steve. I feel I feel like. That's why it stood out as so short to me. So seeing these intricacies and I was getting into the song and then it was over before I felt like it was really fleshed out. I feel like they could have done so much more with it had they expanded on this idea because I liked where it was going. And I don't really hear that comparison Bowling for Soup, not in this song anyway. I mean, maybe I on the basis level. Well, on I also the think the big it's, difference it's, there. Now, the big difference here that I see in the Bowling for Soup is that I find this to be much rawer. Either yeah. Bowling yes, for Soup. Bowling for Soup, and there were a lot of... I, I see your point. They're firmly ska-punk. I see your point in all of the tonal uh, similarities to Bowling for Soup and all of the other bands that we mentioned. We, some of you mentioned Blink, some of you mentioned Times. We mentioned, you know, any, anything Jimmy really e. of that era. Exit Jimmy E. World. But, you know, even them, even they were clean in their scent. They still had this, this post-production mastering that was, you know, record label quality. Something about this, though, is just... It's it's so home home field. Uh yeah. No, yeah, I, would, I think I that's the main difference agree. that I'm, I, that's the main difference I would hone in on as well. Yeah. It's because they seem to be going a little more punk. But the, I'm, of the time. I think you know what that might be the actual no, I story. I don't think it's that they're going punk in Me tone. Either. Maybe they're just borrowing the mastering uh pre precedent that was set by punk, which exactly. is to underproduce exactly. things. It, yeah. Keep it raw, keep it guttural, and keep that sort of 
chaotic idea that chaotic ideas where one instrument may yeah. takes uh, may supersede others at, at odd intervals. Yeah, no, I see your point. But I don't even feel like it continues to fulfill that in the next track either. Like this track, I get that sense, but in leak in the media yeah there's a there's a this song sounds like it could have been straight out of the 90s goo goo dolls eve six third eye blind like it had well, that rock al- alternative 90s rock sound well there was um in the I, intro the really in the intro at least but one of the really interesting things about this song is the distortion piano Comping? I don't know what else to call it. Was it was distortion on the drums. The drums were... No, no, no. It was straight-up distortion. Not just drum work, just that straight-up kind of a sound Okay, that's it. as we go to the chorus. Because when the song began, I mean, it begins slower, a lot more personal. And, you know, I have to say, in the very beginning, just in the verse, before we get to that chorus, it was textbook predictable. Oh, yes. This time, I had a really like hard I time. Said. I had a really hard time defending it on any on any note. It was the slow personal song that you almost just expect to get on an album like this. You know, there's going to be that time where they just cool down and you know speak from the heart, and it's just you know that in itself won't do it for me. Then they go to the chorus. It it was nicer to me. Yes, it was a little. I, I I'm going to just describe it as bizarre because this album excels when it does anything bizarre, because when it doesn't do that bizarre thing. Sounds, I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I wonder what. I wonder what else is there. Um, so that's really what this album excels at. And in this particular case, yeah, it, it struck me as sort of a whooshing sound in the background during this chorus. Just like a slight a wind, little effect. Wind on a mic. Yeah, that, that that's would a good be, way to that put would it. Be, yeah, distortion. Wind mic. on a mic. <laughs> um, but it's it's a callback to the title, leak in the media. I like that kind of symbolism they're playing with in this chorus with their instrumentation because you still have that it's pretty clean especially for how uh, so much of this this album has sounded raw it's very clean piano work that is not even comping comping is not the right word it's almost competing with that that blown mic no i i i I got the same thing at that point it's 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 very odd because well the economy is also so strong because it starts so textbook with the acoustic guitar and getting serious and then this distorted chorus bit really kind of gives you that idea of mainstream not mainstream sneaking through well i was going back to the title that yeah, yeah the leak in the, the media, media. It's, it's, it, you'd expect some kind of uh sonic play off of communication technology and, and that's what it seems like they're doing i mean they even bring in stuff later on that seems kind of out of place like the Jingle Bells, playing a very Christmassy yes. Jingle Bells kind of rhythm right before the bridge. But n- the song is not Christmassy. But well, it no. still kind of sneaks that in there if to follow want, with the rhythm. If you want to go with the symbolism, that would be a perfect uh, representation of commercialism. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, no, like there's, there's things that I think no, there's they things, kind of thought about. There's when, things when here, one. but I don't want to overstate them. As as to diminish the big thing on this track, and that is the bridge. Yes. When yes. the bridge comes, this album takes a a wholehearted turn for me. This is the point in which, first of all, you get a a a, a piano that is at it that is. It, it's sort of more dedicated, it seems. This is not something that is just all over the place. This is a piano that is it it's it's thin. Everything else has kind of taken a back seat to this piano, and then the chord progression 
steps in, and this time I'm going to use the word that we so recently panned, and that is the word anthemic. But this time it comes off in, in the truest sense. This is an earnest use of an anthemic uh, section. Perhaps the whole entire track wasn't anthemic, but that was just that's but just built, the brilliance. It, it built to that moment, it though. It built to this moment, and it is... Here I have to cite the chord progression, because the chord progression is one of the most powerful yet. It goes from the 5 chord to a minor 6, then lots of tension built up toward this this 2-7 chord. Again, whenever you're sort of dealing with a little bit of variance on, on the root, uh, on the basic triad itself, that's going to do something for you. And then goes back to the 1 chord. But that is only in the sort of the midst of this cycle. It's not as if it's returning to the 1 in sort of a, a, full, a full state, because really there's more of a modulation for this particular section that it's treating the five chord as the one. So that's really where you're going to feel it in the end. And that's what we get. We go from the one to the five, and then we persist with this cycle. A six chord, five chord, six, two, seven, one, five, six, five, six. It, it's this cycle over and over again. And the lyrics here get me just as much as the chords. It's not... Well, first of all, it's citing things in... Uh, we're talking about Ohio, of course. Yeah. This is, you know, there's a reason why a state there is was titled here. There is a consistent theme in the record as far as right. talking about scenes of the past. Scenes of the scenes past. Scenes that were, and in a very specific place. And clearly with, yeah, the place, the place associations. You get these, these, these names thrown around, cities, obviously, in Ohio. Um, want to take myself back to Akron. It's not far from Toledo. Closer to Cleveland, you take me back to Akron. So, again, I feel like it's like I'm being drawn into his memories here. Yeah. And that was the most powerful thing that this album has done yet. And well, it, it did it, it in it, a sweeping way. Well, and it does that a few times. It's, this isn't the only time. We'll see it again a little later. It's really good at setting, setting a setting, essentially. Giving you a scene. It, it doesn't skimp on that. You know, it, it frames it well enough either by the music or more uh, importantly by the lyrics. Kind of puts you in his state of mind. Most of these songs are very personal and first-person point of view. And it really comes across in this song. And I think at this point on the album, for me, it was one of those songs that I really took notice. I kind of, even though it did seem cliche in the beginning, it really did something interesting that made me uh, excited for more to see what they were going to do as we continued on. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, track six is not that song. Uh, rooms 301, uh, three, huh, rooms 31 and 30 is the name of the track. Um, I was very disappointed with this song, considering what we were building to and how the track seemed to kind of pick up steam and build and show this artistic talent. We get a song that's very, very distinctly of the time or before it, but beyond that, predictable and boring, even for the time. It's, it's, got, it's got sounds that we've heard before, chords that we've heard before, the structure is very familiar. And they did a thing that I hate when rock bands do. They have chimes in it for no reason. These chimes literally come in and go. They serve zero purpose. And it irritates the crap out of me. It's not something I noticed, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, I was looking for anything at this point because I was so bored. This song, and if it hasn't been coined by now, it should have, is Happy Angst. The song has energy to it. And it, it is invested emotionally so that it doesn't seem too sad, but what the content is ends up being whiny. It's a weird combination, but it's a combination that 
uh, garage style music and uh, the 90s perfected to a T. Happy Angst has been around for like two plus decades. It grew out of punk. I, I, I'm so tired of this type of sound because it is it is to a T uh, a duality that just doesn't really work anymore. Well, I, you know this is a, this is a, a a funny role reversal here only because I feel like you guys are in general more 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 defensive of this style than I am. But but. Um, I don't know. I t- I honestly just interpreted this track as white noise. It really didn't do very much for me, and I I was about to convince myself that it was just the the, the case of a post anthem state, where you, nothing can really follow it up, or it's going to be very challenging to follow it up. But it doesn't seem like they really tried with this one. They receded back to their the safest side of them, which is as I said before, it's weak when you compare it to what they can do. I want to see the bizarre qualities in these guys. I want to see these oddities, and then I want to see the the emotional uh, romantic builds. But that this song really just didn't have any of those things. It went, it was, it was entrenched in, in its, the, it, the safest sides of what it does. Safe territory. And as we've said in the past with these kinds of situations, it was by no means terrible. It was just very safe and predictable. You know, that said, it was still okay musically. It's just, when you've gotten so many so much spice so far to give us something bland and remove the spice kind of leaves you feeling flat but we get something very interesting after this track although john did have a rant that he'd said off air about how rooms no 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 no, no, i want to do it i want to do it if you've ever been to any hotel or apartment complex that doesn't use letters in its designation Rooms 30 and 31, just like street addresses, are on opposite sides of the hallway. So his point is, well, why would they be next to each other? Well, because Which I believe was indicated in they're the line. Connect- it was. They're connected. Yeah, the rooms were connected in the song, according Maybe to Maybe it was figuratively? Did you ever think of that? No, no. That they were on opposite sides of the hallway, but they were reaching out to each other. No. Their that, that, no. that said, that's a really tiny nitpick. And but it's little things like that. That don't phase me in the slightest. No, 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 me but it's little things like that, that that can... I know it's nitpicky, but it's something I'm nitpicky about when it comes to lyrics. This, is, this has been a little bit of an issue here, because while I like a lot of the stream of consciousness that is in this album, there are parts that I just... It just come off a little bit wrong to me. I think what Mark's lyrics are going, stuff like that, or like the line... Won't anybody care if I burn this place down? There's no one around. It goes on, and it, it really—he's trying to be like angsty. That's that's where that angst is really trying to show its full force, but it comes off childish. But I think that is intentional for this album, and it's been showed in the music. I think it's this kind of—I uh, mean, you know—I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll go halfway with you. I think it's a little bit of a cop out because it sort of gives you gives you uh, leeway to be as um as, as juvenile as, as possible. But that's the thing. This band does not is not as juvenile as possible. They have lapses, and I think sometimes there's reason for the lapses, and sometimes there's not reason for the lapses. Um, in well, this particular case, this song I think is just suffered from following a really really strong one. So as I said, they went back to safe territory. But if if you're right on one count, there may be moments where as you're trying to search the theme of this album, as you're trying to sort of pin it down clearly emotional state clearly a lot of nostalgia clearly a a, a broken love 
you want to put the pieces together, and there are moments where it's really, really visceral. Like, for instance, the 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 bridge or the well, sort of secondary chorus uh, of the of the previous track that you know take me back to Akron. It's not far from Toledo, closer to Cleveland. You you're giving me a picture here. There's less of a picture. It's true uh, when you're sort of just meandering around uh, uh, hotel rooms and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, some of these lyrics are also hard to pick up on, and there could be things that were missing, in which case all we're left with is the music, and if the music suffers, then... The song suffers. Exactly. So let's jump, though, to something that was way more interesting at this point. So I want to put this out there that I was very disappointed with track six, but I didn't stay disappointed long, because track seven, Natasha W., Clearly a specific person in the lead singer's life or a band member's life, I'm guessing. Um, this is an interlude track, completely instrumental, no lyrics. And it was very interesting. I mean, I wasn't expecting an interlude at this point, And, I mean, it does break up the album nicely. It gives us a moment to breathe. Let's describe And, it. yes, it was a minute long. So, honestly, it's half a song in some regards. As opposed to just a musical interlude. Yeah. And that is what's both great and terrible about this piece. It's great because we're not getting a 15-second blip. We're not getting a 20-second blip. So we're not getting teased here. But at the same time, its composition would have made the backbone for an amazing song by itself. Well, its composition is minimalist. I mean, what we're talking about here is sort of an oscillating organ, particularly a very slow oscillating organ, the kind that is clearly not clearly not acoustic. It's something that's definitely fed through, you know, uh, through a feed of some kind, through a, a filter. But the because this oscillation is so slow, it's sort of sort of gets itself into your system in a little way. And I think a minute is, is more than enough time to do that. Uh, beyond that, you also have a little bit of mallet work alongside this. Mallet work, I assume it's a xylophone, but I, I, I might not be 100% in that. But it, it, it's the way these two instruments combine. It's not something I hear every day. So there's, again, texture there that I just, I'm kind of... I'm kind of needing at this point on the album, but that's not to say that I was suffering from a lack of anything up until this point. I still just think it's a matter of preference. I do prefer a little bit more of a full-fledged, uh, a full-fledged ensemble, but to be honest, these guys have kind of given it to me in, in spurts. So the point that I didn't need this track, but I really, really welcomed it, and I think it was the perfect interlude, but I don't think it's it, it's worth analyzing beyond that, except for the fact that it is a clear divider in the tone of this album as we experience it from now on. Track 8, our title track, we get Ohio now, so obviously this is bound to be something important, is a lot slower than anything we've gotten so far. This is a track that really, really benefited from its pacing, and also... Enhanced texture and a more full-bodied sound of the same things that I just mentioned all the stuff that we had earlier on But this time much more highlighted you get those horns and this is this is something that's so strong Because I don't even think we got this too much in the in the earlier part of the album It was just smatterings. smatterings in color and really yeah. even I can't even think of horns come to think of it It was more like we got the flute we got the well we got the piano horns. This is really a first and it's there Again, it's the quality to them. They're so muted, so so delicate. And the funny thing is, it's still really scatterbrained. It, it still seems like a lot of notes are just sort of thrown out there in the course of this comping, but in a way that, form-wise, makes that seem just as raw. 
Yeah, I I would agree. I feel like I really like this song because you get a sense of the emotion very early too. It comes across very concerned, almost melancholically, kind of this kind of muteness to to it, but not an emptiness, not not a lack of emotion. No, yeah, that's the word just, I use to describe the horns themselves. Yeah. They feel muted as if they're constrained. It's not like you know when I say horns, I'm not talking about the kind that you would encounter in a, in a ska band or something. I mean, there's a tonal similarity there to uh, to what you know, the, the horns might do in ska bands, but, but they're, they're not they're as stuffed. brash. They're stuffed. Exactly. They're just, they're in the background and they're just doing something uh, a lot more introspective. It's also um, more solid footing for both the string work and the piano work here. I feel like they, they form the backbone as opposed to the other instruments that are being used here. Uh, instead of just being accents, instead of just one note being played to, you know, make that guitar sound a little bit better, they're they're much more fleshed out pieces of the song itself, and that is a very welcome combination with the slower tone that they're building. I well, agree, and the, that it, it gets even better as the song goes on. Yeah, well, it was that break with Natasha W. that really oh that gives us this yeah. breathing room to accept mm-hmm. this track because if this had followed room 3130 we'd be a little confused i mean it wouldn't be so out of place considering the 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 whole the record as a whole but still that breather with natasha really allowed ohio to breathe even more and i agree that the horns were really a welcome change that we haven't really heard except for a smattering and really kind of emphasizes the emotionality of the song you, you really get a sense of exactly what he's feeling singing this track. And, and it's backed by the music that's behind it. And it doesn't come off as pure adolescence. In this case... There's growth. Not even growth. It's more retrospective. It's more looking back on your childhood. The way the words are being presented here. Yeah, it goes, I wasn't invited. I wasn't even close to being there. It gets real lonely in the bathroom. It was blackout. It was heavy in here. Don't turn on the lights. You might not like what you see. Don't believe anything they told you. Don't believe anything that could hold you down. They're very powerful lyrics. And I think that it's supported very well by the music. Which is, I think, the first time on the whole record where we're really getting such strong support from both sides. There are moments on the other tracks, but this track as a whole is a powerful title track, fitting of being the title track, but they really do support each other. And I think that really also lends to the emotionality of the track. And 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 this is where it truly gets great. The vocals, the whine, his emotion fits everything so perfectly. The instruments are complementing it. He's complementing the words. It's going back and forth. Things are working in unison that you didn't quite have the same cohesion on the previous songs. It was getting close, but there were parts that were kind of dropping off that... You kind of we're we're left wondering, but here everything is coming together. That uh, this this is some of the most solid compositional work thus far, and probably for the album itself. I agree, and it, it comes to a, a real crux point in the end. But the funny thing is, um, going back to those lyrics, I'm I'm starting to get towards something that's a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna go using your word. Uh, it's more than stealth self-deprecating at this point. I think maybe that was a Freudian slip, as you said earlier, self-deprivation. Because something in these lyrics here hints that there's a, that there's a certain, uh, maybe even self-hatred quality to this. You know, don't turn on the lights, you, not like, you might not like what you see, 
He's in the just, bathroom, yeah, the lights are dark concept. for an extended period of time. I get that there's some sort of self-inflicted harm going on in this particular part of the song. It's not just some sort of harm going on, but the character itself, this, this person, is just in a, in a social null zone. They are so depressed about this, and everybody has felt this way unless you were one of the lucky few awesome people who were... I don't know. There's so many ways to describe it, but they're the popular kids. Here, this is the person that just didn't get to be the popular one, didn't get to be at the social oh. instances. And it's depressing. This is that depression that everyone has felt. I just, see, that's the thing. I don't think it's about popularity. I, I think this is a lot more. Well, no, this just is still the reference to the, the party. No, reference to the party. Right off the bat, starts off reference to the party. I'm not at the party. I wasn't invited. Not even in that same time zone. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's being alluded towards. I'm in the bathroom with the lights off. Crying, hurting, who knows? Yeah, There's so many the ways thing. it can I will, be taken. I will, I will, I will, I will uh, tread lightly on the self-inflicted harm, but it, 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 it seems to be implied. But there's a lot of things that could be going on when you're worried about the lights being turned on. And I think uh, it, it's impactful just to say that and provide that piece of imagery. Just, I'm definitely left curious, wondering, and, and deeply empathetic. And that's the purpose. I think the goal, whole hog of this song, is to get you to be empathetic and to identify with him. He's pouring his heart out in this one, and you're supposed to really relate. And I think it does that very well. This is a very, um, this is just a slight aside, but this is, this is, um, the se second time in the same week where I've heard, uh, a line about things that hold you down. In the beginning of when I did the Eric Neff review, there was a line there that immediately struck me in the very first song. We all, it was the first line of the first song, in fact, called Don't Fall, and it went, we all cling so tightly to the things that hold us down. And here we have a line, don't believe anything that could hold you down. And it's just, it's this little, you know, themes that seem to be interconnected in the ether, and I'm, 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 always, uh, I'm always curious by them. Well, it's also this idea that the things that you think might be helping you are actually the things that hold you down. Exactly. That's the base level of it. And I think that this song transitions from melancholy to hard depression very quickly. With a hint of hope, and that's, yeah. that's a thing. It's and not that's full, really important, actually. We're not going full emo here. We're not going full goth or anything in message. It's, no. It's... Don't listen to the naysayers. And that's a really powerful message. And it's the sort of thing that just personally, and I know I kind of speak for the two sitting next to me, this is a great message for when this album would have come out in our lives. That's true. And here's the point where I'm going to say, I wish I'd heard this when it first came out. Yeah, I wish I heard it in 2004 when I, and I will give away, give away my age here, when I was 16. And I um, was much older. <laughs> not much, but I was 16 21. and, see that's the thing, five years then is a lot more, <laughs> not more impactful than five years now. But... Uh, I want to get to that crux point that I've been waiting to get to, and that's to sort of swing us around back to the music. And th that moment occurs sort of much later in this track when, I, I, I hesitate to say this is about, this is when we definitely get the climax. This is when we get the climax of, of maybe the song, maybe the album, in, in, to, in some, to some extent. It goes to a, a two chord here. And it may not be just going to a two chord, it may be all out modulating up a full step. In which case, you get this golden moment where the, the primary chorus is, is belted out again, and along with that, we have these, mo these moving piano chords, just up in the high register. 
And the fact that it's more than just color, the fact that it's more than just these, these, these singular dotted pieces of melody, the fact that it's this full motion uh, of, of, of all-out triads taking place in this upper register at this point is, it was sort of chilling to me. It was almost a, almost a, uh, a, a back hair standing up kind of moment. And I think that that, that sort of summed up this, this track quite completely uh, in the music uh, alongside with these, with these lyrics. It makes me emotional on both fronts, and I always advocate that. Yeah, and that's very powerful, too. And it was very powerful for the record. And showed an interesting direction for it to go um, after that break. We really do get a, a whole different side of the band on this second half. Especially because it gets followed up with... Even at, well, even in the outro, just in the, talk yeah. about the transition to the, to the next track, there's this sort of... this these um, the, like, I kind of interpret it as like video game credits almost going on. There's this sort of uh, compressed, almost like 16-bit sound that's, that's coming across to me, kind of in the way the song wraps itself up, which is like nostalgia for the time. You know, 2004, Maybe. you're not going to be getting 16-bit. Oh, I'm adding, I'm adding comedy to the show. Maybe he was playing Game Boy in the bathroom. Yeah, that was it. That yep. might be it. Yeah, we got yeah, it. We got it. Go. We got this whole thing figured out. But there so was a reference, however, to, and I do remember a year. I don't remember exactly where it was in this album because I didn't note that down, but there was a reference to, to a year that was somewhere in the early 90s. So it may very well be nostalgic for the time, which is uh, somewhat of an inception thing we got going on here. We're feeling nostalgic for 2004, and he's feeling nostalgic for a decade before that. Perhaps, but that lead into just because the lake was frozen over, really kind of moves into this. It continues this structure of a slower pace, a sweeter sound, and this this song, even though initially it does have this sweet sound and feels very sincere, it's not actually sweet. It's like that sweet pain kind of level almost. You get from the the music and from the moment he starts singing this pained feel that follows up that depressing song and i feel like it's a really great follow-up to what we just had as the title track yeah and this is this is the time where i want i'm gonna invoke the word irony because there's there's almost no no connection between the tone and the sensation that he's getting here except for the fact that it is a, a sort of calming state and you know calming is not always it doesn't always denote tranquil. Sometimes it means you're in the recesses of, of introspective thought, and that sometimes can mean uh, very, very uh, well, deprecating recesses of, of, of well, and introspective I think thought. More than, more than calming, more subdued. subdued. He may not necessarily be calm, but he's more subdued, less animate more pained and more introspective. Right. And, and I want to is... get out how this is conveyed in, in the music itself. This First was, of all, wait, just, wait. just in the beginning, just in the beginning here, we're talking about the, the opening chords. We get these fifths. These just It's in G, and you get these G fifths. The G, the, the D, the D to the G, that kind of thing. You know, stacked on top of each other, but very wide intervals. And this is just the intro here. And that's a very open releasing kind of thing. You know, you're left vulnerable when you all all you have is just these fifths. No densities, nothing like that. So it, perhaps that's the word that we were sort of aiming for is vulnerability over overcoming or all that other stuff. And then it kind of goes into a little bit more of a pop framework, but this is like the piano rock again. We're in Ben Fold's territory in this song. Uh, ben Fold, you, you shouted out Elton John before, but I'm going to lean more toward Ben Fold just because of the time frame here. This is what I'm getting at this point, and it's, it's, it's soothing. At the same time, it's familiar, 
but then they add on that other element, and that element comes in when the saxophone steps in, because the saxophone mixed with the piano is not something I often hear in pop. That was a drastically new piece of texture, with I'm, which I'm discovering here decade late. I think that with this song, though, what I really like is you get that music. The music, especially when the sax come in, it conveys that serene but pained feeling. It really does make you feel what he's going through again. And that's what I really like about these two tracks back to back is you really get into the lead singer, I'm assuming's shoes, whoever the, whoever the song is about at least. You really get a sense of who they are and what they're going through. Noirish, it, kind of. Yes. Yeah, noirish. It even, this song even goes further because it kind of ignores the other instruments besides a little bit of the string work, the, the piano and the saxophone. Very little of what we were expecting to be in this song because of what this album was doing. There's very, I don't even remember uh, other percussions or guitar are really just showing up in this in this song. It was a, a kind of a different ensemble than what we were used to, and I think that adds so much more to the impact if those than instruments, even following up Ohio. If those instruments were there, they weren't the focus, and that, that's, that's something I appreciate, because up until now it had been the exact opposite, where these instruments seemed like the fe featured instruments, and, and they sort of had their core go-to ensemble. Uh, which consisted primarily of, of indie instrumentation, but here you're right. It's the the tables ha are are flipped. It seems uh, as as of that that uh, that very decisive intermission that we got um, earlier. And it, it, this song gets even better, to be honest. I I I hope I'm doing the the beginning part of this song justice, but it it develops into this sort of full fledged sound and starts getting a lot more experimental as it goes on too. I, this is sort of an odd reference, but it's sort of the uh, the thing that I think of before the thing that I should be thinking of, and that thing is Homeward Bound, the Homeward Bound <laughs> score. It's it's interesting, but just because that score was meant to sort of bring to life these wide intervals that we got here in in the the beginning of this song, you know, fifths, octaves, things like that, or fourths. These things, you know, it, it's just about as as sweeping of of a uh, of an interval as you can possibly get, especially when you when you pan that off across a keyboard, and even more so in an orchestra. Here we get sort of a, uh, a tailored ensemble impression of that. But the funny thing, and this is what I was referencing, the thing that I should be thinking of here is the composer that I believe that, sound, that score was mainly modeled off of, and that was uh, Aaron Copland's work. Aaron Copland is, is famous, one of the most famous uh, American composers for doing that same kind of thing, exemplifying this wide-sweeping American landscape. You know, he, he can convey to you the plains in just, you know, a few chords, or, or the mountains, or the, the, the Grand Canyon, the Rockies, all of this. And this was very much needed for Homeward Bound, and the only reason I reference these is because there's that that sense of awe, that majesty that you get there that I also find in this track, which is something that I never expected to get on this album as of, say, track one. Yeah, and it, it really lends to that atmosphere that this track is trying to convey. And I think your, your allusions to those other things are representative of it. Um, then we should probably talk about the lyrics a little bit here. Because uh, again, this goes back to your earlier point, we're, we're talking about content that probably is much more uh, is much more rooted in, in, in pain than a lot of this openness, but the vulnerability conveys it. So we get lyrics like, Set the standard for elimination. It's time to know who you are, who I am. 
just this run-on sentence there, who you are, who I am. Just because the lake was frozen over, reference to the title, the scream is too late to cry again. It's so cold I could hardly breathe aloud. It's a long way till, I, till I'll be back again. I love the line, it's so cold I could hardly breathe aloud. That is just... That's perfectly ama- that's amaz- descriptive. That's amazing imagery right there. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, it conveys... It changes just the word breathe dramatically. Something that is not voice, that is not communication, and gives it that aspect. And then further destroys it with the idea of it's so cold then ju- that just breathing is hard. Hmm. It's, a, it's, it, well, it's doing also, two, three things at once, and it's amazing for but it. But the thing about that line, too, is we've every human who lives somewhere where there's cold weather has been that cold. At some point, you know, the heat's off, or you're in a blizzard, or whatever, but you've been so cold that it's hard to breathe, especially here in New York. So I think that makes it even instantly relatable, phrasing it that way. That you become conscious of your breath, you become conscious of your heart bre- your heartbeat. I mean, it's this kind of uh, Jack London White Fang atmosphere where you're yeah. just immersed into this cold. And you know, to be honest, I, I think, again, we're, I'm finding connections here between the, those, those, that interval work here. I, 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 I detect place and, and, and setting within all of this, within, all, within the lyrics here, from the lyrics to the, to, the, to the intervals. And then he even mentions it's a long way till I'll be back again. It seems like a kind of trek. And of course, we are talking about the title just because the lake was frozen over. It seems like a kind of spot that someone either experienced something painful in, or it's a kind of definitive marker that has inf- uh, uh, influence in someone's life. And obviously, you know, that's going to recur. It's going to continuously give you all of these these associations, associations to place, associations to how you felt at that time, associations to how your body was feeling at that time, and will continue to as you experience it. And although I didn't notice it before, but I'm noticing it now reading the title aloud to myself, track 10, Uneven Surfaces, you would think if a lake was frozen over, it might not be so even, or it would be. So this is supposed to either embody the opposite of the previous track or allude to the previous track. It could kind of go either way depending on the Well, light. uneven surfaces, maybe the lake fractured. Yeah. And there's some just idea that this can uh, do itself. The problem and the, the the benefit of this track, uneven surfaces, is that it's, it is a lot more upbeat. We're getting a lot more energy again. It's lighthearted. And it's, I won't go upbeat yet, but it's lighthearted. Yeah, but it comes off... I think it might be a little bit context and might be just because the song is this mediocre. All right, here's, here's, here's where I lie with this track. I mean, mediocre obviously is mediocre to the same extent that I may have been somewhat on the fence with some of the early tracks in this album. It's true that post-intermission, as we're calling it, I really didn't want to, you know, go back to that. I thought we were kind of continuously exploring new territory, this sort of solid divider that I, I wanted to, um, you know, engage in. We get a couple things here, though. For instance, texturally, I was more impressed with the drums in this track. They're a little bit more varied. And then the number one elephant in the room, that, that note that I made earlier about being sort of a, a, a 16-bit sound earlier, well, if it was just somewhat present there, it encompasses most of this track. This is... A very odd atmosphere to to engage in at this point. Again, uh, maybe it has to do something with the retro quality of it, and that there's nostalgia involved. But I think it was more just a more of 
a tool. It seems like a tool that this this band goes back to in the same way they utilize their their given ensemble and instrumentation. Um, it's something that they do, but it's not all that they do. But you know, the placement there, here was odd. And then here we also got what we think is a xylophone. We're still not sure, but a xylophone being doubled with a guitar. Mm-hmm. And this is part of uh, the exposition. No, it's part of an interlude. It's part of an interlude, really. Almost bridge. Interlude. I'm I'm sticking with interlude here. I don't think it was full enough. It was just it was just an exploration of texture to to sort of tie two pieces together. And that was the problem because it was intriguing, but it was so underwhelming because of its shortness, of its of its abrupt nature, both leading into and coming out of it. Um, It did have connection as a through line from the two parts. But you, you, you're unprepared on both aspects. I think also this track suffers from something we see a lot, where when you have two very powerful tracks back to back, the track after that, if it's not just as powerful, which is often hard to convey anyway, it's hard to not wander a bit. Same as I experienced earlier with 30 and 31. Yeah, I think that the track's not bad by any means, but I think compared to 8 and 9, 10 just doesn't hit the same mark, but again, that could be intentional as well. It's more than that, though. This I, also I suffers would... from onomatopoeia. I, I experience yeah. this here. We also get it a little bit later on, but you know, <laughs> this is the stuff that I that seems to be recent in our complaints. But it's uh, getting more, more, uh, more serious every time, and that's this whoa, 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 whoa's or wheeze. <laughs> I don't know. Make up a word and just shout it out as if it's sort of anthemized. And I don't really take this band as being that kind of band at this point. But, you know, this, in this case, they definitely slipped up a little bit. They copped out with that line. And I, I generally feel that it's always a cop out with that line. I can never really come up with a good reason to use it. Very rarely. I mean, I feel like if if you're saying not actual words, onomatopoeia, to convey a certain emotion or impact or or just to rile a crowd live, I get that more than in an example where it's just kind of thrown in and peppered. Well, I did, I, I did cite this early on as a band that I, I would expect to hear live, but to be honest, over the course of this album, that opinion has definitely shifted. I don't think a lot of this, um, a lot of this latter half, it, it would be a very different live setting, let's just say. Yeah, but I think it would... Be, it different would, audience. Yeah, well, I don't no, know. No, all right, all right, all right, you're right. I'll, I'll retract that. It's not a different audience, but it's definitely um, a more artistically-minded audience, the people who can sort of break free from the pop form. This They're is, not just going out there to dance around and have a good time. They want to be... They, they want something to speak to them. Part A is where you're getting all energized and everything like that, jumping around. Part B, you're tired, so you're going to sit down and enjoy. Bingo. I just, I think as a whole, this song just, it it doesn't do anything terrible, but it doesn't really draw me in either. What it does, what it does great is get you out of the funk of the previous two tracks to let you move onward. And I do think it's a good connecting piece to track 11. I think that if you had gone from track 9 to track 11 in tone, it would be a little more jarring. This track was kind of supposed to bring you bring you up a bit and move you towards the next track. That's what I meant because, well, earlier on when I said that the last, tr- the, the, that uneven surfaces is lighthearted, not really uplifting. Serious is uplifting. Yeah. It's just interesting that these titles totally don't make sense, but again, they've, well, I mean, they do that. Well, it actually, in this case, serious is being used in a slightly different context than what we would, we would really expect. Um, 
there's a word being used in this song that is not being used in so much of the other song. We. We. We are doing something. We are getting serious. And that's where serious comes in. Mm. We is now the idea of growth. It is coming together. It becomes somewhat the anthem of this album. But it's not bludgeoning you to death with it. But the chorus, the way it's sang, though very succinct, is this kind of crying out, this this almost anthemic feel. Yeah, it's it's a self-proclamation that includes everyone listening, which it comes off pretty strong, uh, even though it's sort of conflicting ideas. It is very much a self-identity, um, but just the way it's it's using that term, the, the collective idea of everyone getting together does uplift. And that's where I think, I think that's where the uplifting is coming from. I mean, I have issues uh, with just the fact that people coming together often. I mean, uh, it's true. Obviously, it does. It works. Um, But I don't think it's immune from our our anthemic pop uh, uh, descriptor in recent past. I don't think either of these tracks are really immune. there's a couple things that maybe gives this a little bit more of a variance. Uh, for instance, we get that oscillation again. The same oscillation that we got back in our intermission. Was it Natasha W? Yes. And that is present here. Of course, it's not as, as highlighted. It's not as thin. But it is a background sound that, that sort of guides much of this track. And it's you're obviously going to remember it. So there's a clear tie-in there. Then beyond that, we get another little callback. The guitar... Is right in your ear again. It's another one of those strains mixing techniques when the the guitar is just is somebody left it turned up on the mixing board and there it is, just sort of unavoidable. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, most of the time that's a good thing. In this case, I think it I think it is a good thing because it distracts me from the anthemic side. But then again, even that in a sense is a matter of just like waving your hands. Hey, I'm over here. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Um, I think it was. Better done in, in in the first instance, and that was back in uh, track four. Uh, you were way too young. Well, I think though the what the song. I think that also these songs are better interconnected than the first half of the record as well. I really think that um, uneven surfaces and leads into a, a track eleven series very well. And though I'm not going to it yet, I think that this anthemic nature, this this uplifting feel, is really meant to drive you into track twelve. Because Trap 12 is incredibly uplifting and has a gospel sound that we'll get to in a minute. I think Sirius was designed as another transition point. I think that these songs are interlocking better than the first half of the record. Well, better is the wrong word. I think they're interlocking in a different way than the first yeah, half of we're the seeing album. That this Sirius presents an idea of growth as far as the character of this album. And John McClane, Track 12, another intermission... Sort of. It's still not quite the same uh, thing that we got with Natasha W. It's also in the same sort of vein as Natasha W. This is another minute-ish track. Um, this, there's there's really only one way I can explain it, and that it is a quivering note dance. <laughs> it's visually, you have a vibration throughout the whole thing. But the notes, the way they hop up, down, up, down, left, right, center, what have you... 
it's very reminiscent of the sort of music I saw in Fantasia. I and heard I, in Fantasia. And that's where my mind immediately went to. And I agree with John because the gospel feel of it kind of did remind me of a Disney-esque kind of sound. It's not exactly Disney, but for sure, instrumentally, it reminded me of some of their better scores. Because their scores, some of them were very uplifting. And, and they were infl- influenced by gospel. So I think that's, if that's not where this influence comes from, it's definitely reminiscent of... Uh, this is another track that brings back that um, oscillating organ, come to think of it, in a much more gospelist fashion. Uh, as you said, this is, this is, uh, it, it's interesting because, again, I see this connectivity in these varying sounds and I want to ascribe them to something. It's just, you know, to what? It's, it's, it's a clear divider. I want to ascribe something very pivotal that happened as of Natasha W. that, that is, is recurring in these varying instances. Um, but I, I, I'll give it this. This this track seems like this is almost what we probably wanted out of Natasha W. Even though I think it was perfect as it was. I think it was perfect as an interlude. I th- I wouldn't want anything more out of it. I, I, I liked that sort of snapshot uh, exploration of an idea. This was an expansion on the idea. This was the expansion that, that, that really kind of uh, fulfills it. It's, we get the horns again. Mixing the horns with the uh, with the organ again, it's just something I don't really hear all the time. So it's more than just a plain gospel. It's it's gospel with character. It yeah. builds. It builds surprisingly quickly without losing cohesion. And it also deconstructs surprisingly well towards the end. And with I, the with the, the loss of instruments. And I didn't feel like I wanted more in this case. I felt like it was of a perfect length for what they were trying to accomplish. I really did enjoy it and I think that I think that it really does add another level to the tail end of the record I, I agree with Steve though I feel like I am overly looking for meaning because it's instrumental and we have a habit when lyrics are removed to really hunt for a message because it's not obvious if there there's no lyrics that said of course we've heard songs that musically made it very obvious with the messages mm. but I like the ambiguity here I like the fact that you don't know who John McClane is you're not sure if it's I mean it's obviously not a diehard reference although it would be hilarious if it was um, well again I get the sense of a removed pain transpiring here yeah. in the same way we got back in, in Future Islands singles back in episode 104 I mean that was removed almost to the point of it being uh not not being able to be captured you know but, not being able to be to be sort of solidified and and it's not a whole idea because there there's almost a hint of suppression i almost get that from this although to be fair it's been pretty visceral so far yeah but i do like the ambiguity that this song does provide it doesn't give a clear message of what they're trying to say but it gives you an emotional state to kind of bathe in if you will yes and perhaps the memory wasn't what you thought or wasn't what he thought exactly um as far as deconstructing, John was right. It does kind of come down at a nice pace and then kind of just ends, leading us to a fresh start with track 13, which doesn't actually rely on the interlocking parts like the previous tracks had. Hours just, take too long. Track 13, we get... So this is an interesting construction. We get what starts out sounding very Google Dolls. Then it moves into... I had a different reaction, just with that, that opening little riff that you're talking about. The sort of motif kind of reminded me of something that I might hear on, uh, off of Sufjan Stevens' Illinois. This, this sort of motif, in, in, it's in eighth notes, right? So it's, it's, it's regular, but it's a cycle of three. And obviously it's, you know, crisscrossing a, a double meter into a triple meter because you get this cycle one five one one five one one five one. I think it's just these, this octave, fifth, octave, fifth, octave. Octave, fifth octave, octave, fifth octave. But it's in eighth notes, so you hear it like, you know, and 
and one and, then two and three, and then and four. You know, it just goes on like that. And it's an odd, it's an odd rhythm. It's not anything groundbreaking, but it's, you know, it's just another one of those quirky examples, and I like when they do things that are bizarre or creative. But the song as a whole definitely has a structure of kind of pulling from, with that exception, uh, pop rock's greatest hits from the 90s and 2000s. It just has overall, even with that intro, this sound very much of that time. And you said, though, earlier that he could be looking back on that time. He very well could be. You cited, and very you cited easily. Goo Goo Dolls. You cited Weezer. Uh, Blink. Yeah. All of this. And they could have easily been influenced by all of those bands who were out before this time. I was really, really honing in on that slowed down, uh, that felt so Weezer-esque. It was towards the end, yeah. Anything from the first three, four albums by them. It was, it doesn't feel like they were going back and saying, yes, here, these are the bands of the time. But it feels like the reflection idea is being coupled with the music they were being, they were listening to in that time, which I think is why we're citing so many different bands for this one song. But there's a major issue I have with this, and that is the uh, singing in unison that's going on here, because the vocals are just not working at all in this song. Both uh, uh, musicians are singing off-key, they're singing in two different off-keys, they're fighting each other. They're fighting the music. This really, I just, I, I was really disliking everything the voice was doing. I don't know. I think that it wasn't as noticeable as you're saying it is. I did notice that during, especially the middle part of the song, that they did seem to conflict. But it didn't really bother me as much as it bothered you. I think also because I cited... It reminded me very much of what Taking Back Sunday did a lot, especially on their earlier work, though it wasn't as raw as this. Very much that that competing vocals, almost to give a franticness. I don't really know that this needs to be frantic, although with a title, hours take too long. I guess it's there it's somewhere. A, it, there's a duality you can work with there, which is why I like the the fast, slow, fast, slow kind of idea that they work with the speed, especially, especially with the piano. But the last... I don't know, six tracks or so. The vocals have just been building up, building up. That's why I'm citing it. I feel like they kind of took a step back. Well, there was even instances where the off-key nature to his vocals kind of worked. I mean, uh, we had that earlier in this album, and then there's, I don't know, there's just times where you want him to really hit the mark more. Sometimes it's just more impactful to hit the note rather than to imply then there's this there's this this inner rawness that can't be contained and I can't think straight therefore the note is just not coming. No, just to get it. Come on. Well, that's <laughs> and an sometimes that would tactic. fulfill the chord. I mean, yeah. that's very much an angsty tactic. Like, I don't care. I'm just doing it the way I want it. It doesn't matter if yeah. it sounds right. And it, you know, it it sort of fulfill it it, it it engulfs this album, but there's times where I I think I would make the argument that it's it's always been present. I don't know if the vocals have necessarily been building, but there are times when his inflection is more on point, and that is because of the music in the background. When the music in the background is capturing an idea, you don't care as much about the, uh, the rightness of the melody. You care that it is matched. But if you don't have the context, if you don't have anything to match it to, well, then you're going to go back to simply caring about the melody. And, you know... That's just that doesn't work on everyone. That what's, that style what's sh- of singing. What's a shame is the, the the lyrics are actually pretty impactful. Education's out the window. Everybody's high. 
bring it back, bring it back to the good times when we used to pace ourselves. And he goes from a faster clip to a slow used to pace ourselves. Mm-hmm. That that tempo change with his voice is great. The tempo change sort of in that 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 inflection of his where you know he he's not always on point with rhythm either. It's not always, you know, just in the same way he treats notes, he treats rhythm changes. He's not always right there. That does have an effect, and this is see, this is the counterexample. Sometimes that works to his advantages. Yeah, and then here he, he it also works fades great. out dynamics. That's another thing we've kind of been leaving out throughout this. Dynamic <laughs> changes he definitely has. Uh, his dynamics have been, I think, pretty on point. I think that's where um, that that's that's one of the reasons why I wasn't really citing this up front is being like, ah, he's a horrible singer. Rah. The dynamics are what make him a a. Uh, a very useful singer. Well, also the dynamics have a very strong emotional impact. I mean, clearly in every track he's emoting very not he, strongly. He, not he, not he. And because we can't really find enough information about this band, I can't cite who, but there's two. There's two gentlemen here, and there's even two gentlemen in the next song. But my point is, is that they, the singers, the what their style of singing, their inflection is supported by that emotionality that you really feel by the rawness and how they convey it. Even if the singing is not of a certain quality, that inflection can make you forget it. Dynamic changes, like yeah. trailing off, for yeah. instance. There's a lot of that going on throughout sure. this album, and it's sort of... Especially when they're competing with each other, they trail off apart. Or yeah. or intentional slurring, going from clear, crisp, into something where you just start, you know, or messing s- up the words. Or singing far from the mic. That yeah. We get that a lot throughout the album. For instance, all... that's the exact opposite of what we're getting in the guitar, which is just this close, clean sound, it's almost overbearing... And then the vocals are just like this distant wail, you know. Almost it, showing an emotional distance. Yeah. Um, and we really get... But see, the, the lyrics, I feel... Uh, the vocals, rather, come back more on point for the final track of the album. So the final track, we have The Crash That Took Me, which t- in title alone is very dark. If we're talking about a narrative, a narrative perspective, talking about the crash that took you, you assume it didn't take him to the hospital or take him to a fluffy bed. Took him to his grave. Um, that's at least what I'm inferring from the title. But I like that the, vo- the vo- from the minute he starts singing on this track, the vocal quiver that he has and the way he inflects what he's singing really gives this down, sad kind of feel that this final track is conveying. Plus, it's got a, uh, a fairly heavy acoustic flavor to it, which marries well as a more contemplative idea that we didn't really get throughout the album. This, Steve put it well, and I'm gonna let him say it. It's it's not end credits. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's not end credits, but it's the it, it it's the the song that leads to it. It's the song just prior to it, when everything is just kind of wrapping up and the story's almost done. The credits aren't quite there yet, but you get the sense that this movie's ending. You still need that final scene, whether it's the kiss or the get on the airplane and never come back again, or. Someone dies or the baby's born. I mean, but, or maybe it's, no, it's I don't even I don't even think it's like building to anything specific. It may very well be just like the walking away kind of like this is the post contemplation. Well, the, what I wanted to say is what I really like about the emotionality of this structure is the fact that it's not the end credits. It's not the end. It's right before the end gives an openness to the. It's not. We talk about how a lot, a lot of final tracks on the record really feel final, feel the end, but you don't really get a sense of the end. You kind of get a sense of we're working towards it, but you can make your own 
allusions to what the end is. That said, there's this ambiguity. is not that said. This is yeah, there's ambiguity, but this is not an unfamiliar thing. This I'm not getting bombarded by anything here. For instance, no. there's a reason we all we all cited this as credit music because we've all heard it before. This is not one of those instances where he's really breaking boundaries. It's acoustic indie. We have you mentioned acoustic, and you know. You kind of summed up the, the the tone of this, and I I, I can only define it as acoustic indie. Um, it doesn't always work, I think, for an album because sometimes it helps to keep a little bit more mystique. Sometimes you don't always want to just like fit the bill of the of the the the, the textbook wrap up. Well, right. that's that's also accomplished with the stream of consciousness of the lyrics themselves and what was really interesting is that the lyrics are not sung by one of they're sung by both of the guys almost tripping over each other as they're trying to get the words out there are parts where they're actually ending one phrase and starting another one at the same time and that's just so great those two thoughts are actually related because it's the kind of thing that i also think is 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 common amongst this juvenile thought and obviously we've had that as sort of a, a a staple throughout this album various little little inserts of of uh you know, techniques that may be juvenile and certainly uh, some juvenile experiences. Uh, and now we get this instance where you're having this sort of wrap up. All right, let's end the story. Let's have our conclusioning paragraph, right? That's the kind of thing that they, they, they teach you to do in middle school, but you should never actually do it on a, on a, on a paper. Um, and then you have those lyrics, which are almost the same way. It's like a stream of consciousness, as one would be taught to write when they're in middle school, but you should never actually publish it. Probably... Some people get away with it, depends on how it's done. This particular case, I think it does work. I think it works because it's 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 painting this, it's completing this picture for me. I I, I sort of see the. I'm not saying I agree with the with the processes of all this of, of this this train of thought, but it makes sense to me. It makes sense how uh, how a juvenile mind could go through all this, because as you were just about to say about these lyrics, who. It is one giant run-on sentence. You're right, there's times where it seems to be tripping over. There's times where there's lines that don't quite complete. They just, they, they get to a certain point and then they just, they just trail off. And then all of a sudden there's, there's a musical interlude to, to take its place. Let's just give a little bit of a, uh, example. With the notion, I had a feeling, that the cables would turn lies from the coordinates. Just don't touch any red ones from the fires below me. I can hopefully get to the top of. Besides, direction will have to be. It's not a question of your honesty. Just everyone's got a job to do. There's not much room for error in this place that that trails off there. The ocean of trails off a little bit, not quite audible. You'd have to have lyrics in front of you to make out some of this. 30 knots, but I will see that anything I are, yes, that's the grammar, and the next few, I'll be thinking of the lilac without an accident. God bless, don't explode. I got two kids and a wife at home with the TV on, and I might not make it home. I might not make it home. And this repeat. That, that line too. Yeah. Might not make it home. Chilling. And once again, he's doing what he did before, where varying the inflection is changing the nature of the line itself, but it's still within the realm of dark. Creepy dark, scary dark, not quite dark, more of a laughing in the face of darkness, but all this mm. kind of comes across with the different repetitions. And then it ends with... Well, it ends with this sort of paragraph. It just seems like sort of a... a I mean, I'm not going to call it a chorus, but it's this kind of... Uh, this repeated phrase that, that, that seems to kind of go in a round. Because again, as far as the lyrics... As far as the melody would have you, 
it, it's not really presenting itself as the kind of thing like, ah, and let's say it again. It's still just stream of consciousness style spoken word, but there is a round here. As the sun beats down, it's cold as hell. I might catch a glimpse at certain altitudes. As the sun beats down, it's cold as hell. I might catch a glimpse at certain altitudes. That round is just, just continuous. You barely even notice the bump. At the same time, I feel like I, 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 I glean something from this track. It's and that, powerful. That, it's powerful in the sense that I get deep into the recesses of someone's mind. Yeah. Not just surface, the not just the events at hand, but... but the thought processes that led him to certain things that he may never have done. The the way you phrase, phrased it, the way they phrase it, the way the lyrics trail off and conflict and talk over each other, it's like an internal monologue. When you think, sometimes you can think very clearly and have articulated sentences in your mind. But that's usually not how you think. No, usually when you're excited or overwhelmed or upset, it's, ooh, this, ooh, that, oh, wait, this, that, oh, uh. It's, it's very scattered. It's very all over the place. Sometimes how John gets on the air when he's excited. Yeah, things are hard. It's just... But in, in all seriousness, it conveys that franticness that overly emotional people go through. And I'm not saying that's a type. I'm saying anyone who becomes overly emotional can easily break down and fall apart and get scattered. And that conveys it so well. And that's what I was saying earlier about this whole juvenile train of thought, because it's no more prevalent. I mean, yeah, yeah, as you get to be an adult, it's not that that ever really fixes itself, but it becomes a little bit more muted. You try to start sorting out the things that would have bothered you in the past. They don't bother you so much nowadays, but there's a time in that angsty state, when this just consumes you, when this is the kind of thing that, that is, is, is your mind, body, and spirit at one particular moment. And it, it's, it's funny because it's sweeping for being juvenile because juvenile minds often want sweeping thought. Yeah. It wants to be broad spectrum. It wants to sort of hit home in a striking, incisive manner. It wants to reach out to others and also be accepted. It wants to be artfully accepted. It wants every little moment to matter. And as a finale, as a closing, it does something which is both pointed and important for what this album has done, which is kind of create an adolescent mind in front of us. It creates the question of what's next. And I love that idea because this, like we said, this is an end credits. This sets up an idea of what's what's going to happen next. And no, no adolescent mind should be done. You should still be growing. You should be, still be expanding as a person. That's You're a not point. yet adult. An adult. This leaves leaves it on uh, leaves it on a cliffhanger, and I love it for it. I love that idea of just where you're going to go. It, it, it's it's just a, a great ellipsis instead of a period on this sentence. It's nice to get an ellipsis once in a while. Yeah. We often get a very solid conclusion on a record, and I don't mind those either, but it's nice to get something a little different structure-wise, which we had a lot of on this record, actually. A lot of unique structure moments. Yeah, I, I might catch a glimpse at certain altitudes. I think that's kind of uh, what you said earlier, John, that that, that probably is, is conveyed there. I might catch, there's a lot of ambiguity in this album. There's a lot of unsure of oneself in this album. And that's that's the note that it leaves, leaves us on. As the sun beats down, it's cold as hell. I might catch a glimpse at certain altitudes. This this hope amidst, amidst uh, unfaltering sorrow. Yeah. So I think this is a good point where we should head into the wrap up. 
Who wants to go first? No, John, no. John is shaking his head. I am not head. taking this one first. So. Yeah, I can't. You can't. You don't, can't do it. Can't you don't take want the to fall. take it first? Can't. Not first. Okay, I'll go first. So, um... The bigger man. <laughs> well, we already knew that. I'm definitely bigger. Anyway, moving forward and moving on. We better. <laughs> <laughs> um... I agree with a statement that John had made very early on that we all unanimously unanimously agreed with. Um, even though I would have been 21 when this came out, I still, at the time, would have very much identified with this record. I still do now. I mean, thinking back, not so much my current life situation now, but I can definitely reflect on the past and identify with this album. Um, a huge uh, spectrum of the 20s are still sort of reconciling that... that uh that divider between where juvenile ends and adult begins. Yeah. And I think emotionally, this album is very strong. This is clearly a very personal record. I mean, we got a sense of that pretty much from the beginning. It was very face value, very in your face, but all cards were on the table, you know? And as we go through the record, we have the intermission and we have this structure change. It really conveys this adolescent mind. I think John really hit the nail on the head. We are holding in our hands metaphorically, because we do not have the actual album, the adolescent mind of someone going through either a horrible breakup or a hard time in their life, or both. Or growing up. Or just growing up, which is hard enough. This might just be high school. So, I think that this has a very powerful impact. I think that musically, there are moments that fall short, because it's very predictable. But that said, we, have, we, we often bring up how things are predictable, we don't often enough preface it with that it's not necessarily bad. We're always looking for music to expand on itself. We are looking forward to that next thing, as we put it. But that just because we don't get that next evolution in sound doesn't mean that the, what we still have is bad. That said also, this came out in 2004. So to fault it for not finding those indie evolutions that really came in the mid to late 2000s wouldn't make any sense. Which, to be honest, let's face it, it does have evolutions within it. It has things that the vast majority of indie did not have. It recedes at times to the core of what defined indie and what we know and, and, and may or may not love, but it has more. It has more. It's not present throughout, but it does have it. Yeah. This song by no means is average. It definitely steps above and beyond that, either through content, through lyrics, through construction. Album is by no means average. Uh, yeah, album, sorry. Um, and, and I appreciate that alone. It's nice to hear something that f wiggles its way through punk, pop, and rock to not sound like every pop-punk pop, pop, band that's come before it. A lot of them in the 90s and the 2000s were cookie-cutter, very predictable, the pop-goes era, as I call it, where all those bands were kind of interchangeable. These guys stand out a bit, and I did find out before we started the podcast, they did just release a brand new record this year, which I'm very interested to hear because the evolutions and growth that are displayed in this album that came out a decade ago, with a decade of space, I'm curious to see what they've done. I just wrote a review for Broken Records Magazine, which is an affiliate site that I work with, that we're releasing on our site. By the time you're hearing this, it should already be up, about a band called Finch, who is in a similar vein to this band, who existed in the, they haven't put out an album in nine years, they existed in that same pop punk area and they grew a lot they weren't by any means perfect now either but they grew a lot from what their sound was and i get a sense that this band would probably do the same thing um nitpicks problems 
Um, there were moments where I was bored, where I felt it's something I've heard before and that I don't really... But also, I feel like it's unfair to harp on it for feeling familiar because it's a decade old. And it might not have been familiar then, as familiar as it is now. We've had a decade of that stuff happening, mm. which would make it feel more familiar. And I feel like in the same vein with Madonna last week, I have to give it some allowances for what it was doing for the time. Because Steve's right. As far as indie music goes, it was still pretty beyond what they were doing at the time. At least in moments, if not for the whole record. Yeah. And, so, no. <laughs> and no, I just wanted you to confirm what I was saying. The big number. Yeah. Wait. So, I think for me... Bated breath. I wanted to say that it was on the same level as Madonna last week. Because Madonna hit... Well, Madonna wasn't as emotionally impactful for me. It hit some pristine pop milestones. Which was what that record sent out to do. And has done. And been said to have done. Um, was why I rated it so high. I'm rating this on the higher end for a different reason because at the time if I heard this record I would have completely identified it with emotionally and I still do now retrospectively it's got a strong emotional connection and it's very personal and while I didn't really connect lyrically as much as I typically do I'm more in a Steve camp I think musically I identified with a lot of the emotionality that the music was conveying throughout the whole record and that really hooked me really hard because I feel like the instrumentation is very strong. Even if some of it is a little samey, those peppered moments really make it pop and really make it stand out. So for me, it's just above a four because for the time, it was, I would imagine it would have been pretty influential, at least for what it was trying to accomplish. So I give it a 4.1. 4.1, interesting. Okay. Looking at a pretty, um, when you're trying to rate something like this, it's very bizarre. Also because, you know, it is 10 years ago. That's got to be factored in. There are several things to consider. One, we already mentioned theme. I think the theme is, is, is superb. Um, at the same time, there's that question you mentioned as to whether it would have been accepted as of, as of 2004. And you think it would have been highly influential in its time at the same time. Of course, to the same point, we know what happened with it. Yeah. And we know, I, I at least know, that they're not huge. They're yeah. not a major band. It's very hard to find uh, information on them. Even our, uh, our fan request said he only found it through, uh, through a TV show, which, of course, they can pick up upon anybody who is producing that play play uh, the playlist for that TV show and their you know, personal tastes. They may have just encountered this album and said, hey, some song might happened to fit this particular mood. That's pretty small potatoes. I would think, and I would want this band to be more influential. Unfortunately, that's not the way pop indie really works, or the way uh, pop indie punk really works, and all that stuff. They're generally looking for a hook that is much more engaging, and there actually is, amongst the indie world, a little bit more of an aversion to that, that to this style's voice than... Uh, than we let on, or than we would like to think so, because we experienced it primarily in a local setting. Local setting is where it thrived. Didn't really get beyond that too much, because in general, I think record labels knew that this is a hard thing to sell. Don't get me wrong, it exists. It exists, it was out there, it got on record labels, and there's a fan base for it. But it's not something that ever really flourished. And here's the it's, it's split down the middle, because that voice sometimes hold it, holds it back, and it sometimes works wonders. 
it definitely works from an artistic standpoint when you're considering this whole juvenile thought process. I mean, obviously that's something that would be unpolished. But that's artistic effect. Sometimes you can stay more when you are polishing an idea that phrases something that is not polished. It seems a little convoluted, but that's something that would be a little bit more, I think, accessible to the listener. For instance, the tracks on this album that got me most were the moments when it seemed polished, and I, I don't say that lightly. There's tracks toward the middle of this album, Leak in the Media, is one of, the bridge in there is one of my favorite moments. That, that chord progression was, the build to that progression was phenomenal. Couldn't say the same thing about some of the earlier part, uh, about the earlier part of that, that track. Because, to be honest, it's, it's a matter of context. Is that going to null me to the point that I'm waiting for the big reveal? Or is that all part of the game? Is that supposed to sort of keep me at bay before the big reveal? But to some people, nulling is just flat-out nulling. I mean, you'd, at the end of the day, prefer a, a full-fledged song with a chorus and verse that speak to the same point just as strongly, even if they vary uh, the texture. And it just... It's painful to say that when this album does recede to very safe places, it just is not as impactful. When it breaks from it, it's incredibly impactful. So we're, we're looking at two completely divergent sides here. One, I obviously would rather uh, hone in on than the other. And that brings me to the, uh, the point of nostalgia. Obviously, the fact that I was of such an age at the time, and I hung around a lot of people who knew this music, meant that I was attached in an emotional state, but not the personal state. This was not necessarily my cup of tea at the time, but the, based on the people that I knew, based on it being kind of the pervading soundtrack to my life, as cliched as that sounds, just because it was everywhere, I have a little connection to it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna factor that in just a bit, but I can't factor it in too much, as I have to be a little bit, uh, a little bit objective here. When you take all this into account, theme, what they're doing for the music, and what they occasionally don't do for the music, I think the theme ends up bumping it the most. And I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt, as I usually do in these instances at the end of the day, and say that, that these, these instances were all manufactured from the artistic standpoint. When they wanted to go soft, they did so for a reason. And I think it did highlight the juvenile thought, and to be honest, if that were all that was in the album, I would have to question it. But the fact that it's only a portion of the album, and there are very, um, very shining beacons as we go through this, I think I'm gonna go I, I, yeah, I think I, I think I, I trust your rating, man. I think four point one is, is is fair. I'm gonna double it. Okay, for me, as I said before, and I'll say it again, I wish I knew this as a kid, as a young adult, because I would have I would have fallen in love with this band in a heartbeat. But I think even it even stands up today. I think that's something we're not really talking about. Because we keep using the phrase, for its time. For its time it did this and it was cool. For its time it did that and it was cool. The parts that are safe are not so safe as we're going, oh my god, I can't believe, blah, 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 blah. We're not complaining about it. 
to the uh, because they're bad parts. We're complaining because we want more of the really awesome things. And even today, there's some theme work in here, some ideas, some use of instrumentation that we just don't see in mainstream music or within this genre or whatever this type would be. The, the indie side of music just doesn't really use these elements the same way. And I think that's what's actually going to make it a little bit a little bit higher on one end. On the other, though, my big issues are the voice just at times get, gets, gets bad. It's just hard to follow a lot of the things that are going on there because they're, they may, and just in my opinion, be leaning a little bit too far towards the garage sound. Sometimes the lyrics just don't feel like they're being thought through, which I know leans a little bit towards the theme that they're developing here. But these sort of choices can bring it down because, yeah, artistically it fits. But on the other hand, I do want to hear what you're saying. You're saying it. I do want to hear, understand the words you're saying because you chose to say those words. Make them worth something. So it started, it, it, there's, there's, there's additional pluses and minuses I'm seeing here. And it's it's the theme. You're already great, kind of reeling me back. Yeah. Just with some of this, uh, this is a challenging one, but I'll let you finish. But it's it's those final little tidbits that I think still stand up. The instrumentation, the the use, the fact that this is a six piece band, that six seven piece. I'm still not even sure. That's using a lot of piano. That's using a lot of horns, a lot of strings, a flute, a xylophone. Not in such a way as they really seem like they've been hacked into the music, but in a way where it seems like they chose it very deliberately. And that's something I, I, I don't feel gets used correctly, if we're going to be sarcastic about it, but enough nowadays. I don't feel like this sort of ideas are being used unless they're just being shoehorned into it. Here they felt natural, for the most part. That one little cello piece, not so much. But for the most part, they really do feel natural. That's great. That's amazing that they were able to do that. Actually, sorry to interrupt your monologue, but actually you had me believing almost that it was just the opposite, uh, to the opposite extent with, with, with what you earlier said. And that's just th the fact that some of this, some of this is put together in a sense that, you know, all right, it is 10 years ago. I think it could just be up. that these were the instruments that they had at their disposal, which is a unique ensemble. But when you really think about it, that there there could be so much more done with this ensemble than what was done on this yeah, album. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I think that's my issue. This in which ensemble? case, in which could have just been the instruments at their disposal? In this case, I would say that the instruments at their disposal back in 2004 would have been ska. Yeah, yeah. They didn't go ska. They chose ska and completely flipped it on its head. We've mentioned it a few times today. And it's, it's unusual to hear these uses. Um, so I'm going to say it's a solid four. It's not quite yet innovative, but it shows so much potential, which is why I'm kind of excited about their new album. And I may end up picking it before the end of the year if it comes out. Um, but yeah, no, solid four through and through. It, I think this album truly stands up, and I'm, I'd put, put it next to today's pieces. I don't think the decade really wore, wore on this album. 
I actually am reeled back to a 3.9. I hate to do it, but 3.9 <laughs> is actually where I'm putting this album because y you swayed me on some things here, and I think there's brilliance in this album, but the neck hair moments are so fleeting. I want more of them, and I think that's the biggest thing. I want to be drawn into this, but the lyrics, the, the way he sings, sometimes keeps me at arm's distance. This is an album that invites exactly what we do, which is what listeners should do, but they're not all going to do it. And I think that may be one reason why they are just not as popular as they should be. If they were inviting, if they had phrased it in a, in a slightly more accessible manner, and I don't mean in a pop manner, but if they had, for instance, in, in their vocals, refined that to a more emotive state or a more, um, you know, on, on the mark state, I think that could have brought this well above a four. For that, I, I got to keep it just shy of the four, which is, you know, it's still in the highest reaches of average. I'll keep mine where it is because I think emotionally it really pushes it up a little bit above it's, for me. It's it, mm. but that's so me it's meandering. It's not as on point as some of our other albums, and I know that's in some ways the point. It's just you know that's a, that's a tough thing you're dealing with. You're asking us to fill in a lot of blanks. And now today's topic. Uh, we did it a little bit today when we were talking about some of the uses of this, that, and the other thing, and it's and these are issues that come up a lot. Sometimes we come across these great ideas that at one point were innovative, and they lose their pine saw fresh smell. And some of them lose it very quickly, but some of them keep it for a very long time and don't feel like they're getting older. Um, like the idea, and this is something we, we talked about a lot, the obligatory man in empty room with piano. There are certain tropes that even though they're tropes, can remain powerful. Well, that we, one, we, we bring them up a lot. Well, that one stays powerful mostly because it's a man on a piano in an empty room. It's, it's very, in the description. Well, yeah. it's very exposed. It's very stripped. It's very personal. And that's, I think, why that trope doesn't... Why not man with guitar in an empty room? Why not? But see, that's a, these are the, they, this is the question that's interesting in, the, in this topic here, is that why certain things and not others? You basically just said, well, that's... It, it, it is accepted because it is such that's but basically you still, what you just said you there. Accept because it, it's a man in moan. an empty room you moan about it we've moaned about it we moan about it because and it has become cliche and we do point out those exceptions that it's you know it did it better here or felt more appropriate because this is what they led to and i think that's what a lot of these issues are going I to feel be like also the reason though with the piano it's stronger than other instruments in an empty room is because the guitar the bass the drums they all ring very differently in an empty room than a piano would and pianos are often played in, in concert halls. So the idea of an empty concert hall with a piano just gives this hollowness that... Well, see, now we're getting into the particulars of this, and I yeah. think this is really what we want to explore. I would even propose that it's because the piano is this sort of all-the-tools-at-your-disposal kind of instrument. You know, 88 keys, it doesn't get much more broad than that in terms of a, a, the instrumental power of one player. I think that's, 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 where, um, that's why everybody goes back to the piano in the end. That's why it's such a great solo instrument. Other instruments are a little bit more limited in this. Sometimes they can really excel by by comping with others. At the same time, though, that would not be a cliche, for instance, if I encountered in our album travels a clarinet solo piece. Well, that would be great for classical. There have been classic clarinet solos written. I wouldn't find that in a lot of modern music, and I think if I did, I would be mind-blown. Well, I've got good news for you. 
I have a band that actually does that. Cool. Um, Bring it on. Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, a band that Robert is in. He plays clarinet. Clarinet is actually his primary instrument. He plays it better than any other instrument he plays. Awesome. He just plays it in that band. So I think that would be worth checking out as far as a unique solo situation. All right. Another issue that we've come across is the use, and it happened today, a little bit of the overuse of synthesized work. We were t- there was a mm. little bit of issues with the 8-bit here, the 16-bit, or whatever MIDI was used. Right, we have video game connotations, we've had 80s connotations, all of that. Um, and it, at this point of life, and probably about 15 years ago, it's feeling a little bit played out. When you start introducing folk, or rock, or even some oriented rap and hip-hop, and start throwing in these electric solos, or invigorating parts or light tones or happy little bells or all the things that we've talked about it just don't fit some of the feelings that they're going for it just doesn't feel natural i think part of the problem with the synth is as a trope is that every pop star uses it now it was popular in the 80s it was a popular pop tactic in the 80s then in the 90s it kind of fell away when we got closer to like grunge and rock and heavy metal and then in the in the in early 2000s, bands started using it again in a different way, and it became kind of a full-blown trope. But it helps to clarify. See, we're just talking about the synth. I mean, as far as the synth is concerned, I mean, that instrument represents all possible sounds in many ways. So the, the potential 80s. of the synth, yes, of course, you're talking about 80 synth. You're talking about specific tones that for some reason we consistently go back to, and I think that's the problem, is that why would you? Are you stuck in the same preset modes? I mean, it's just... It, it, it's odd that with an instrument that was invented to be a, to be all instruments, it was vin- invented to be the god of instruments. You can make whatever sound with it that you want, that you can conceive of. All things are possible with a really, really good synthesizer. And this was this is not even like a recent development. This was even possible back in when back in the seventies when people were really starting to experiment with all this stuff. It's just question of which directions are you going to go next it takes decades for this stuff kind of to come to fruition in the meantime people go back to familiar favorites yet we did have an example of one of these techno synth interludes that worked perfectly and that was uh mark three steam powered giraffe hatch fever they yell out the line get down with the robots and it just goes it goes full techno industrial very familiar but it became part of the joke right and that was a that was a setting that one is fresh even though it's the trope but that it was see, a combination you're answering your own question in that instance because that was that was clearly satire i mean in the sense that that was that that particular case that was satire they were trying to do it as a joke, and it came across as a joke because we all heard it as like, oh, I see what he's doing here. Mm. But that's harder to do when you're doing an album that's not, you know, in some way linked to comedy. Well, this is the opposite of what we were just talking about. I think that this trope is kind of played out and isn't excusable, whereas we found some reasons why the piano still works really well. There are a lot of reasons why this doesn't work really well, and that it becomes samey and predictable, and why I feel like a lot of pop songs sound very samey because they use the same synth uh 80s synth 
And now for my favorite, clapping. <laughs> That's a good one. Clapping, snapping, whistling, the use of parts of your body other than your vocal cords to make noise. Make your that's, a, that's a tougher one, though. Only because that's like as about as, 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 it's about as a go-to of an instrument as you can possibly come up with. I don't see it disappearing anytime soon, in which case you have to talk about particular patterns of clapping, perhaps. Whistling is a little more on the nose, and that's very odd. Why should whistling be more, more striking to me or more of an eye roll, more of a groaner than clapping? Both are just as accessible. It's bizarre. These are ideas of percussion or melody that you create yourself or you create with the most basic tools. Yes. What I like that flips this kind of a thing on, your, on its head is the idea if you look at, well, you want to create percussion with something that's not a drum. Well, technically anything's an instrument. You can hit anything. I could hit John and make a percussive sound. Please don't. <laughs> and Please I do. actually had a very wonderful conversation in uh, the sixth episode of Crash Chords Autographs with Marion Call. On many of her songs, she's used a typewriter as a percussion instrument. And I think that's a unique way. I saw that on on one of her promo photos. On the cover, actually. Yeah. And so I think that's a very unique way to get around clapping. Is instead of, if you want to make a percussive noise, she says anything that makes sound is an instrument. And to her, she's always liked typewriters. She collects them. And she thought it would be great to also convey an aesthetic in the song she does, Vanilla, where she's singing about this kind of plain, nerdy, boring person persona. The typewriter conveys that image, and it was a great percussive piece to it. And I think doing things like that is a way around that trope, still having a random percussion, but not something as predictable or overdone as snapping or clapping. I agree, and I have other examples to this effect, but but chiefly this is one of the reasons why I, I, I promote these words almost, almost uh, to, to a fault. Words like texture, words like timbre. This is always my, these are like my, my 101s when it comes to, to teaching someone music, which I, I've done several times. I've never done it professionally, but there's been moments where I've actually walked people through, you know, the basic first steps of, of instrumentation and, and all that stuff. And timbre and texture, usually the first ones, because there's always that question of, well, why is an A so different on a piano as it is to a violin, as it is to a trumpet, etc., etc. I mean, radically different things. So the same thing applies to, to uh, percussion. Yeah. And that other example I was going to bring up was a case of um, the artist Licky Lee, who's a Swedish musician. She had an interesting use of timbre, but there's actually a YouTube video that's readily available where she, she and her and her two bandmates, they just go into the bathroom and they start playing off of various things in the bathroom. They start getting spoons and they start tapping spoons against the, against the wash bin, against the water. They have the water running while they're doing this. And then of course you also have that strange ambient effect of just the bathroom itself because bathrooms always sound a little bit odd. They always have this echo to them because it doesn't have furniture. It has things that you don't find elsewhere. And so it, that was it, a unique it case. It makes your vocals sound awesome. Particularly, and I, I strongly suggest you check out that video, uh, Licky Lee. I wish I could remember, but probably just search Licky Lee bathroom. Although that sounds vulgar. Anyway, but I think that the, these are a couple of tropes where we can see there's good and bad, and within all of the tropes, and you can kind of find find a light and dark side to both, I suppose. But it's always good to when you hear something that you think is a trope in a song. Write it down, keep track, and then see if you can find online other examples of the trope done better, done worse. And it and can expand your knowledge of those tropes. Agreed. And don't don't use don't discredit a cliche 
and not use it because it's supposedly a cliche. Reinvent it. Do something different with it. Or just just keep aware of the context. That's what I think is the moral of this story. If you're gonna if you're gonna look at something and just think, oh, it's a cliche, I'm not gonna use it. But might it fit? There are still instances where something that is tropey will work. So don't just ignore them. Sometimes clapping is a good thing. Uh, the heist had a little bit here and there, and it was used very well. I enjoyed it. It's the idea of knowledge is power. As cliche as that phrase is, it's true. The more you know about a cliche, the better you can utilize it for yourself. Um, I think this is a great place for us to hop into a, our spam of the week. I don't know why I tripped over that. But, but, but I have like 30 mm-hmm. or more cliches we can actually go into right this second. We'll table it for I wrote a part a, I two. wrote quite a few down. We'll, we'll part two this at some point. We'll say we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spam. Due to the end of Plague Incorporated, Cheats He Day in the latest mobiles is a slim, sleek, and black-bodied gaming mobile gaming technology developers will be playing the games and install these and other difficult challenges. Whether be it on developers setting their budgets and sales by delivering relevant value, this word solver application. That's the end of the sentence. By Plague Incorporated Cheats Blog Thought. It's Plague Inc. Well, it's... I play this app. Not the not the cheats version of it. I play Plague Inc. It's Plague Inc. It's actually a. But it's incorporated. Me. It's still incorporated. It's still no, no, for, it's right? not. It's not. It's not. That's what Inc. stands for. Incorporated. No, it's referred to as Inc. In verbal conversation, it's Plague Inc. But but I was actually elaborating. Going. Why are you feeding me? I'm just being, being contrary. <laughs> I'm moving on. I like to be real. I'm moving on. Speaking of being real, I don't mm. know why. Um, so next week. We fulfill a destiny of mine since the early days of this podcast. He's going to prove someone is real. I know he's real. I've hung out with him. Um, Shave of the Dark Lord, who I've been touting since the beginning of the podcast, who I'm a very large fan of and have become a good friend of, is coming on the podcast. He's coming next week. He's bringing us a very influential record to him. Not real. And an influential record to me. Beastie Boys, check your head. One of my favorite records by them. And the Beastie Boys always kept it real. So, he... I had to. I had to do a Steve pun. As, as a... I would never make that pun. Well, that's because you don't know the Beastie Boys. As a, as a rapper, um, Schaefer's often said that he was influenced by the Beastie Boys. He even, for his Drunk Drawer album, I believe, spoofed this record. The record has the three Beastie Boys sitting on a curb. He filled himself in those positions and photoshopped it. It was very clever so we're excited to have him on he's going to chat a bit about what he's been working on um we're going to also sample some of his songs so you guys can check it out um as always i also want to promote please email us your questions comments and concerns post them on the website if there's something you'd like us to review please send it our way let us know um let us know how you feel about what we review um as we were saying earlier jose if you have disagreements with us about what we've said about this album you recommended please tell us in the comments that said i grew to enjoy it uh quite a bit i think all of our ratings were still in in our uh they're still in our go-to go-to state go-to realm it's it's a it's got a lot of perks and this was a full-fledged discussion quite a long one in fact also jose or anybody who knows this album send me the lyrics i'm dying for the lyrics 
Yeah. I really want the lyrics. I John think we Dust. have we have to be we've probably personal. done more transcribing that has ever been done on this album. John dot Sanders at crashcourse.com. Thank you. Um you're welcome. Look at that. That's J O N. Um so yeah, so check us out online. Of course we have the Facebook, the Tumblr, the Twitter. Follow us on all of those things. Like us, please share us around. Um check out the article that Steve wrote. It's very good. Check out the article I wrote as well, since it's published by now. Um and continue to feed us information and continue the, the conversation because that's really what we strive for here. Once but, again, thanks, Yvonne Laughlin. Your support has been great. Your company's support has been great. And Eric Neff's support has been great. Um, it. It's all about continuing the conversation of music because music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good.